Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Talk Recorded live. Hey, everybody. It's uh, Chris here with another episode of Super Theism. I have uh, Dave here joining me again. And uh, I was re-listening to the call that we did. Uh, Saturday night, it's on uh, Dave's Talk Show, Out of Darkness into the Light. It's the most recent call that he did. And I, I uh, post, I linked it uh, in the description of this call. But uh, I kind of had some things I wanted to clarify uh, in terms of my position in that call. And this is kind of, this is going to build on previous calls that I've done, so... If, if you haven't listened to any of my calls before, you're probably going to be lost, and this is going to go way over your head, but I suggest you uh, listen to my calls chronologically, and it's going to build on that, so then hopefully you will uh, understand this better. But I kind of wanted to address something, kind of a criticism that you had of my position, that uh, the position I take on sensation or observations right? Mm-hmm. And that um, basically uh, you kind of uh, challenged me in my thinking that they're um, un- untrustworthy, right? And uh, so I actually wrote, I wrote these notes down after listening to the call, and I'm just going to read them. So I said, uh, it's not that I don't trust my senses, because I have a basis by which to assume my senses are reliable, which is God. You know, I assume that um, I, I deduce or I presuppose God's standard in His revelation, and I think that um, uh, He, you know, created an external physical reality, like it says in the Bible, and uh, He He gave us our senses. So there, I I I have a basis by which to assume my senses are reliable in that and presupposing, you know, God exists and that he gave me my senses by which to use to interact with the physical reality, which is what we see in the Bible. That's why it says, you know, on the basis of two or three witnesses, a matter will be established. Well, obviously, that you could deduce from that and see that your senses would have to be reliable, you know what I mean, for that statement to be true, right? Yeah. I mean, how could a matter be established by two or three witnesses if the witnesses' observations aren't trustworthy? You know what I mean? I, by the way, I so. think that's referring uh, in the Torah to a very specific situation, and Christians try to apply that to basically everything. You know, you got to have two or three witnesses. It's, if you look at the text, it's not Oh, yeah, no, I know. Them. Yeah, but, but still, I mean, my point still stands on that. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, I, I think that the Bible advocates uh, trusting your senses, but, you know, obviously yeah. in a qualified sense. So, <clears throat> Right, right. I mean, we're well, looking at people who trust their senses too much. They're not even thinking. They act like right, 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 beasts, right. right? Okay. So basically my argument 
my argument was it's not that I don't think that sensation is trustworthy. Um, well, apart apart from the right basis by which you base your your observations on. Basically, my argument is that I think that sensation is untrustworthy if you can assume you can derive truth just on the basis of sensation alone. And that's your, you know, you have no basis other than your sensation. See, my basis yeah. by which I base the assumption that I can trust my senses on is God. You know, that he mm-hmm. gave me my senses, and that's why I can trust in them. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. I, I make that presupposition. And that mm-hmm. was my argument, basically. A non-believer... Um, outside of a viciously circular argument, so this, I'm just going back to what I wrote here, so this might get kind of heady, but I said, uh, whereas a non-believer does not have a justified basis to assume their senses are reliable, outside of a viciously circular argument and an infinite regress of how they know their first premise, i.e. that their senses are reliable, is true thus reducing it to the arbitrary and making knowledge in their case impossible. Okay, so to kind of explain that a little bit, um, do, do you agree with me that all arguments, you have to, all arguments, um, you have to deduce from, ax, they all uh, deduce from axioms? Like, you, all, you always have a, a first premise or a postulate or what I call an axiom that you deduce from, I mean, to, to base any argument off of. Here's my answer. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> you like that name? <laughs> I have to think about that for a while. <clears throat> okay, well, I would contend that you do. All, all okay. arguments, you know, are based off of axioms that they... Um, you know, build themselves off of and deduce from, you know, base, 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 base premises. I got hung up on that. All arguments have a first premise. That's basically what I'm saying, that they build off of. Um, Are you a presuppositionalist? Yeah. Okay, I I am not, so, anyway. Okay, well, I'm going (laughs) to... After I after I read this whole thing, then we can. I'm mainly talking about Chris, Chris, Christian presuppositionalism, though. Uh huh. They begin with the assumption that God exists. No, I know. And I've talked about how you can prove God, but you can't in the short term, only a long term. And they, they I don't, I've never even heard them talk about this. So anyway, I, I disagree. I disagree on that. I'm going to explain why here. Okay. Okay. So. So to get back to this statement that I made of how, you know, a non-believer they can't they can't justify the assumption that their senses are reliable outside of a, like I said, a viciously circular argument and an infinite regress of how they know their first premise is true. Their first premise or presupposition being that their senses are being the assumption that their senses are reliable. So will you? You'd ask them, well, well, how do you know that your senses are reliable? Well, they don't have any basis by which to justify that outside of their senses or what they observe, or so it just it's a circular argument. You know, they use their senses to prove their senses. Uh huh. 
or it reduces to an infinite regress. You know, they'll say, well, based on this. Well, then you say, well, how do you know that's true? Well, then they say, well, based on this. Well, how do you know that's true? Well, based on this. So you can't have an infinite number of premises supporting other premises. can't go on infinitely. You know, it can't be an infinite regress because that just, that's, that still proves my point that it, ma it makes knowledge in your system impossible and arbitrary. You know what I mean? You understand? You understand that? No, uh, because I'm multitasking in the background. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm actually writing an email, but uh, you're hitting me. You sound very intellectual today. My anyway. contention <laughs> is that my contention is that you, you have to have a self-justifying first premise to avoid an infinite regress of premises supporting other premises. And if you have a self-justifying first premise, then you don't have you don't have to have this infinite regress of Premises supporting other premises, supporting other premises, supporting other premises. You know what I mean? Uh huh. Well, if your first premise is self-justifying, then it justifies itself. It doesn't need another premise to justify it. And my contention is that the only self-justifying first premise is revelation from an omniscient mind, aka God. Basically, the presupposition that God exists. Yeah, you talk about that a lot. Yeah. So, to further explain, so I go on here. I said. Uh, the same applies with reason, just like it does with sensation. I don't think a non-believer, I don't think they can justify their reason either, outside of a circular argument and an infinite regress. That's kind of my uh, criticisms of, like, Chris Kendall, you know, because uh, he never says uh, what basis, he never, he never gives the basis or explains what basis he's using to justify his reason or what standard, or how he knows his, his reason is, is correct, or that he's reasoning correctly. Uh-huh. So, I mean, he, reason presupposes a standard of reasonableness. You have to have a standard, some kind of objective standard by which to measure against to know that you're reasoning properly. Right? Isn't that right? <laughs> Do you agree? How do you know that you're reasoning properly is basically what I'm saying. How does a non-believer know that they're reasoning properly? <clears throat> well, they can't. This is not the right time to be hitting me up with this kind of stuff. Okay. Well, it's going to be rhetorical because I'll just answer it. I, I'm not expecting I didn't think it was going to be this heavy, okay? So what I'm trying to do here is error. I tried to forewarn you. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know you'd get this heavy. <laughs> yeah, well... <laughs> So basically what I'm saying, a non-believer, how they will usually end up justifying their reason is they'll say, you know, well, I know I'm reasoning, uh, oh, hold on. I know my reasoning is valid because I checked the validity of my reasoning using my reasoning. Therefore, I know my reasoning is valid because I checked the validity of my reasoning using my re reasoning. So they have to use their reason to just, so they use their reason, they end up using their reason to justify the reason. Just like with sensation, they end up using their observations to justify that they're, or to, as the basis by which they justify that their observations are trustworthy. So they appeal, they appeal to their senses to prove their senses, or they appeal to their reason to prove their reason, which is circular. It reduces to a circular argument. You have to have something outside of your senses 
to prove your senses or something outside of your reason to prove your reason. Does that make sense? Somewhat? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or it'll end up with an infinite regress also. You know, they'll just say, well, I know I'm reasoning correctly because of this. And then we, we ask them, well, how do you know that that's true? And we'll say, well, I know that's true because of this. Well, how do you know that that's true? Well, because of this, because of this, because of this. And then it just goes on ad infinitum. So they never end up with a self-justifying first premise. Well, they never have an objective authority that they can appeal to. They don't understand that. There's nothing that's, above man. That's the, that's the point of what I'm saying. <laughs> All they can ever do is appeal to themselves or some other that's expert. exactly the point. And that, yeah, okay. that just reduces to the arbitrary. You see that? Yeah. Because okay. if you're if if man is the standard, man's not all knowing. He doesn't know all the variables. The standard has to be an all knowing standard for it to be objective. <clears throat> See that? If, if you don't know everything, there could be variables that you're not aware of that could contradict what you think you know, or that could conflict with what you think you know. So you can yeah. never know anything with certainty. It's very simple. You have your the first. That's why I contend that your first, the only self-justifying first premise is revelation from a, an all-knowing mind. That's the only thing that could give you assurance and give you that justification. It'd be, it would, it would be the justified basis by which to assume anything. You know that your senses are reliable, or that your senses are trustworthy, or that you can trust your reason. You know what I mean? Because you're. I think- because you're getting it. because you're getting it from an all-knowing mind, so he knows all the variables. He knows whether there could be something outside of what you think you know that could contradict what you think you know. So if he tells you that you can trust your reason, you can trust him on that. You can have that assurance, and you're able, and then you're able to make the assumption that you can trust your reason. You can actually make that assumption in a justified way. You see that? Okay, you're saying that unbelievers cannot know anything for certain. Exactly. Okay, yeah. I would disagree with that because I believe that uh, <clears throat> that um, if we have an infinite number, uh, it just goes on and on of unbelievers, and they're all in a line, and they come up to a stove, and they put their hand on the stove, and they burn their hand, and that guy burns his hand. Okay, who's next? And he, same thing happens to him, and it happens to every single person that puts their hand on the stove. So at some point we go, do we know this for certain, or is this still theoretical? How long do we have to do this? to prove that we can know this for certain. you have a problem with that? Yeah, that's you're using induction there. That's fallacious. Okay. But the common person, he's going to agree with me and disagree with you, right? Well, that doesn't matter, though. That doesn't make you're it true. You're claiming some kind of higher theoretical knowledge. So, uh, no. I, I don't think that kind of knowledge <laughs> is that val- valuable because it's not practical. So. Yeah, but just because made. something's not... Just because something's not practical doesn't mean it's not true. I mean... Okay. And by what standard are you using to to make the claim that it's not practical? According to who? What standard? Well, that's, this is the way we live. We <laughs> all act. When we, when, like, if you're, like, a, a little child and you, you learn, you're learning how to crawl and you bump your head against the, uh, the wall, then you learn that, uh, okay, you can't do that. Uh, if you go straight ahead, then uh, it's going to hurt. You know what I mean? And you, mm-hmm. you, you, you act that way for the rest of your life. That's what I call practical knowledge, okay? Yeah, but again, that comes down to the same problem, what I was talking about. Everyone has different sensations. Uh-huh. So, 
to me, to make the claim that, you know, you, you can trust your senses because, I mean, just on sensation alone that you're trying to claim it, it to me, it's like, I don't know, it's just kind of megalomania. Actually, it has to do with mathematics. I'll appeal to mathematics. This is going to happen every single time. Okay, so it's not just theoretical, it's mathematical probability. Yeah, it's probability, which is so, inductive. I reject probability. Uh, you're trying to appeal to logic versus mathematics. So I'll well, logic is the foundation for mathematics. It comes out of logic. Well, I think mathematics is, has the most certainty. No, so I would no. judge logic by mathematics when there's an overlap. There no. Okay. no, math comes out of logic. Math or Logic precedes math. The problem with probability, and, in, and I've talked about this on previous calls, is that in order to know if something is representative of the whole, you have to already know the whole. In order to know if a sample is representative of the whole, you have to already know the whole. Would you agree with that? Uh, I'm not sure. <clears throat> I mean... I have to think about these things. Uh-huh. Well, I'll just give you an inductive argument because it's induction. Basically, it, it appeals. It relies kind of on probability, you know, because you're drawing a general conclusion out of a small sample, or you know, a, a particular handful of particulars. Uh -huh. It'd be like, well, all the swans I've ever seen in my life were white. Therefore, all swans are white. That'd be an example uh -huh. of an induction. The reason I'm hesitating not to affirm these things is because I've found to experience that there are exceptions sometimes. Exactly. You see they don't I mean, hold that's, up every that's, point along the line. So. But see, that that relies on probability, though. That's the same kind of reasoning that you were making there. The problem with probability is that it's a fraction. You know, it's the numerator over the denominator. The numerator is the, the particular, and the denominator is the whole. It's the particular versus the whole, Right. But the problem is that in an inductive argument, the whole is an infinite number. There's an infinite number of possibilities. I'm telling you the truth. I'm actually doing stuff in the background, and it's hard to call <laughs> you. I'm actually sending out an email to invite people to this show. So some of it okay. I can follow other, other, over my head. Because so. I'm not, you don't have my full attention. I didn't think I'd have to pay that much attention. Remember I said before this that I would kind of like be in the background and stuff like that? That's right, yeah. I was born, walk, I, walk to the store and all that. You know, I said, don't expect much from me, right? Remember I said that? Yeah, I remember. You're you hitting me with these heavy... I mean, logic is not my specialty. I have natural uh, sense of, you know, reasoning skills. You probably... It's a gift from God, right? There's all this technical stuff. It's just because, you know, we got the, the forward button push, and I uh, have... I'm astute enough uh, not to fall into some kind of error here. I just prefer to say, well, whatever... I'll have to listen to that later, and maybe we can talk about it, go over these things. Well, basically, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I've talked about this. I've, I've addressed probability in past calls before uh -huh. the specific issue. Um, the problem is with any inductive argument, you have infinite possibilities. There's Because the conclusion is never necessitated from the premise, right? All the swans I've ever seen in my life, life are white, therefore all swans are white. 
that premise does not necessitate that conclusion, does it? There could be swans that aren't white, right? Yeah. 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 You haven't observed all swans, past, present, future. There's, so there could be, and there's actually an infinite number of possibilities with that because the, the premise does not necessitate the conclusion. There's an infinite number of possibilities that could contradict that. Well, you're going to have more variability with swans, but as long as the stove is working properly and uh, everything else is functioning fine, electricity, the home, uh, everybody's going to burn their hand on that stove every single time. That's, that's my claim. So. Yeah, but you're, you're assuming solipsism, though, and assuming that your reaction applies to, to everyone. You're assuming that your sensation of that is going to apply to everybody the same way. Well, I could sit here The problem is everyone has different sensations. I could sit here and refute myself. I could say, Dave, don't you understand that there could be some unique person uh, that's never been born yet, but um, he, uh, he, he has a unique nervous system, and also he has um, uh, some of these abilities that gurus have. You know, he can walk on coals and stuff like that, and uh, it's mind over matter. He can put his hand on the stove, but I'm still going to say, well, guess what's going to happen to his hand? He may not feel it, but his hand's going to start burning. And it's going to be blisters, that kind of stuff, you know. But he goes, I can't feel anything. Well, I know. You're a very unusual person. So Okay, but as, an unbe- as an, I'm, argue, I'm arguing from a non-believer's position. What guarantee does a non-believer have of that? What I'm saying is if you try hard enough, you can create some kind of exception. But see, these are not... Ne- no, 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 not no, no I'm not creating exceptions. No, no, no. What well, guarantee does this, the non... Yeah. What guarantee... You're, see, you're a, the- you're a theist, though, so this is... You assume the same things that I assume, though, because you assume that God exists. You assume that he kind of, he's governed he governs the universe with a certain regularity and uniformity of nature, right? That uh-huh. certain laws of physics will kind of remain the same and won't change. And you know, you're you're operating off of all those assumptions. I'm arguing from a non-believer's perspective. Okay, a non-believer has no basis by which to even assume that. To assume that the laws of reality will remain unchanging from moment to moment, they have no basis by which to even assume that. How, what guarantee does a non-believer have of that? They don't assume that there's a God who exists that governs the universe by laws, of, you know, governs nature with laws that are keep, you know, help nature remain somewhat uniform from moment to moment. See what I mean? Mm-hmm. In an atheist, materialist worldview, everything's random. I mean, they say this all the time. Everything's random, you know. Any, you know, and that would, in that kind of worldview, anything could go at any time, with equal probability. They can't even establish any probability because there's an infinite number of things that could happen at any time. You know what I mean? If everything's random, so what guarantee do they have to even make that assumption that you're making? They don't have that guarantee. They can't make that assumption with any kind of justified basis. Uh, they actually believe in a, a, a version of chaos theory. Uh, I guess. I know. Right. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Everything is chaotic. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm saying. So if they made that assumption, it'd be inconsistent with their worldview. You see what I mean? For us to make that assumption that everyone will burn their hand and that they'll have generally the same reaction, that's perfectly justified in our worldviews. I see what you're saying. Okay. That's what I'm saying. All right. Because we assume that a God exists who established laws that govern nature that 
remain Man. unchanging to an extent, you know what I mean, and keep it uniform from moment to moment so that we can actually predict things. We have a basis by which to predict things, you know what I mean, and we have a basis by which to assume that certain things are going to be more probable than other things because we have this basis and this belief in this God who keeps nature uniform, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. An atheist or an unbeliever, they don't they don't operate off that basis, so they can't make those assumptions, at least not and not have it be justified. Mm-hmm. You know? It's inconsistent with their world worldview. Like if everything's chaotic and everything's random, then wh- how can you assume those things? Yeah, there's no predictability. I see. No. I, I, you know, you won't be a prophet. That's what we'll call them. You're, are you a prophet, Mr. Atheist? Yeah, exactly. Taking that role of the prophet. Here's what's going to mm-hmm. happen next, okay? Prove mm-hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah, they're being inconsistent with their old view. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, to get back to what I wrote, I said, um, well, I said the presupposition, the presupposition that God exists and of his absolute objective standard, must precede all other assumptions in order to have a justified basis for knowledge. I kind of already explained that earlier. Um, So to give some examples of some questions I'd press to the unbeliever, the non-believer, who doesn't operate off this basis, you know, and doesn't uh, base their arguments off of this first premise, or this axiom, how do they know? How do they know that they aren't in a bra- aren't a brain in a vat, or that the whole reality is an illusion, or that it's or that everything's arbitrary, or that they're even reasoning correctly? Well, I believe that the creature is dependent upon God at every point along the line. So, <clears throat> yeah. To that so, for some reason. So to give you uh, a syllogism here, so premise one, if you deny God, you can't know that everything isn't an illusion. Premise two, if you don't know that everything isn't an illusion, then you don't know anything. Conclusion, without God, you don't know anything. That conclusion would follow by necessity. If those premises are true, that's, that's a valid argument form. It's called hypothetical syllogism. It goes like this, if A, then B, if B, then C, so if A, then C. That follows by necessity. Would you, I All mean, right. how, you, how you, could an unbeliever get around that? They can't. Okay. They you can't get around that. Me. You did warn me that you were going to get very philosophical. So, <laughs> I want to give you credit. You did warn me. Uh-huh. Did you come up with all that, or did you borrow some of that? You must have, are those your own propositions? No, I, I borrowed that syllogism from something, okay. but yeah. Right. Mm. But this is my challenge. Basically, this is my challenge on this call. I, I'm challenging. My contention is that you can't know or prove anything without the presupposition that God exists, and that, or without the presupposition of His uh, absolute objective standard. Okay. Um, See, my challenge is for people to prove me wrong. So, so yeah. you believe that you can prove the existence of God quickly? Yeah. How do you do that? Because you can't know anything unless God exists. 
So how would you prove that God exists to Mr. Atheist quickly? Now, it has nothing to do with him being convinced. Remember, Jesus won every argument with the Pharisees, right? It doesn't matter whether they agree with Jesus. There's a heavenly council, and guess what? The heavenly council agrees with me that Jesus won every argument, okay? So we, we don't care whether they agree with us. So it doesn't matter whether the atheist nods his head or not, okay? Mm-hmm. But you're still proving. You know, it says in the scripture that uh, Paul was uh, <clears throat> teaching uh, in the synagogue on the Sabbath, proving that Jesus is the Christ. It says he's proving these things. Uh, was everybody convinced? No. Was he proving it? Yes, according to scripture. So we don't care about the hearer. Well, uh, I actually think that the Bible teaches presuppositionalism because it actually says the beginning of knowledge is the fear of Yahweh. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's basically telling you that you can't have knowledge unless you start with Yahweh. <laughs> I mean, that's that's exactly what I'm saying here. It's based yeah, but out I'm, of talking about, I'm talking about proving his existence. <clears throat> You're talking about you what? Go, Sorry. You have to go back a step, and you have to prove his existence first. No, no, no. You have to well, assume talking, his existence I'm, just to prove anything or to know I'm anything. Talking, I'm, I'm, I'm talking it's different if it's just you or there's a, a second party, another party there. I'm talking about if there's another party that you're trying to prove something to somebody else. So maybe that's why we're running a problem here. You know, if you're just alone, just you and God, uh, that's, it's different. You understand what I'm saying? But this is to, my contention that you... You have to assume he exists just to prove or know anything. And that all other positions cannot prove or know anything unless they presuppose his existence. So that's my challenge to all these other positions is, if that's not the case, show me how. Demonstrate how you can prove or know anything unless you presuppose God. Okay. It's the impossibility of the contrary. All other positions... All knowledge and all other positions being impossible, and this Latin phrase called reductio ad absurdum, all other positions reducing to the absurd, which they do. Uh, so, to get back, to kind of explain that further, so to some questions to the, the unbeliever, you know. Huh? Uh, I, I brought this up in a text quite a while ago. I believe that there's propaganda, a lot, you know, the laws of logic, whatever you want to call it. Uh, it's, it's not different than any other um, discipline. Uh, there's an injection of, of propaganda. Now, here's the thing. I don't know where it's at. And remember, I, I think I told you that we asked a single question, and, uh, and that we were told that there is injection of propaganda. But I, I never asked anything else, so I don't know, I don't know where it's at. I would have to... Discover it. So, that's not. I mean, I, I, I would be a, very cautious to even that's why claim. I'm hesitating to affirm well, all these axioms. The problem with that is, is you'd have to use logic to deny logic. You're using reasoning to deny reasoning. You're using reasoning to say that reasoning is faulty. Well, I'm so, saying that there's, I mean, there's a superior. I'm just talking about superior <laughs> logic out there. Um, Probably nobody has, because they're following all these axioms. Well, the kind of axioms that I'm following, I didn't get out of my logic class. I mean, well, this, some of them are, are obvious and self-evident. I'm not. This came, in, this came independently. 
I'm talking about the ones where I have to hesitate and go, hmm, I'm not sure, those ones, you know. Uh, but actually, I just need to think a little bit more. You're kind of putting me on the spot, and I'm doing stuff in the background. That's why I couldn't give you a definitive answer, though. If I had thought a little bit more, if I was more focused. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying not to error. Yeah, no, that's fine. That's my main concern. So, <clears throat> yeah. What you could do, you could uh, throw some stuff out there and go, Dave, go think about this stuff for a while. Look at it, examine it, and, you know, and then I can get back with you. But if it's off-the-cuff stuff, I'm, I, you're not going to have that much fun with me because I'm going to be too conservative and uh, there won't be a big entertainment value. Sorry. <laughs> All right, well, let me get back to my uh, explanation. So my my explanation, basically, it's not whether uh, – because you, you kind of brought up and challenged to me in that call, like, well – you know, are all are banana, is the banana you observe yellow, or uh-huh. are you actually yeah. observing this object in front of you? Is that absolutely true? Or it's, my position is that it's not whether these propositions are absolutely true or not. It's whether what epistemology or what system of knowledge allows you to even make the assumption in a justified way that proposition could be true. What what epistemology allow, allows you to even have a possibility of knowledge or, to e- or that gives you a justified basis by which you can even make those assumptions, you know, and be able uh, to trust them. Uh, what I said... See what I mean? Ir- what I said is irrefutable, and if anyone impresses the point, uh, they're going to appear foolish. Now, what I can do is just, we can talk about, do you trust... Probably wanted to stay here. Uh, we'll talk about the trustability of things that you can see 10 feet in front of your face. And we're going to go 10 feet by hey, 10 hey, feet well, into well, infinity. Hold on, hold on. No, no, no. We're getting off point here. We're getting, off, we're getting into the – that's not what I'm trying to say. Let, okay. me, let me explain a little bit further. So, again, the reason that I can assume that there is an object in front of my face or that a banana is yellow uh-huh. is because I'm operating off the basis that, again, God exists. He created an external physical reality that I can interact with with my senses, and therefore there's a certain reliability to my senses, right? Well, yeah. So I'm operating off those presuppositions. So I can actually, I can make the assumption that there is an object in front of my face and that it's it's probably real. It's not an Mm -hmm. illusion. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. There's a good degree of probability there. The reason I say this because I'm operating off of these, I'm deducing from these pre, presuppositions in a valid way, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas an atheist or a non-believer, in their worldview, they're not operating off that basis or that, you know, those presuppositions. So on what basis do they have to assume that there is an object in front of them and it's not an illusion? They don't have any degree of certainty in that at all. Uh-huh. Well, let me say something here. Everyone's going to agree with, yeah. Everyone's going to agree with me. Uh, and this is where the word practical is very important. That they trust, you know, we want to say your senses about what they see at ten feet in front of them, and they do this their entire life. Okay, so we're going to extend it out farther and farther. If we want to go, you know, ten feet by ten feet or a hundred yards, uh, but eventually everyone's going to agree with me as well that we hit this gray zone where we don't have certainty. Now, here's my point. Who is the authority 
it's going to determine when we start to have uncertainty. And, and is everyone going to agree on that? Actually, no one knows, and there is no authority. But you can't refute that, okay? Well, I mean, that, that wasn't... How I would answer that whole thing that you brought up to defend the cloud behind the moon is... Uh, well, I think what the, you have to do, you have to be I, the authority. I think, no, no, I think, it's, I think it's different because I think that the zone of uncertainty is what you can't measure, right? Well, you we can to, measure... You, you, you were bringing up distances that I can measure, like 30 feet. I can measure that. I mean, we well, can't measure the distance to the celestial object, so that's the... That's the undefinable region there. That's the uncertainty region is what we can't measure. Uh You can't conflate measurable distances with distances that we can't measure and assume they're in the same category. That's the the gray zone right there is what we can't measure. (laughs) I mean, I can't measure it. But I'm not... But I already conceded your your point because you said that you got it from Revelation, and I I trust the Revelation because I derive my epistemology from Revelation. So... I mean, you have to be careful of setting yourself up as the authority that says this gray zone of uncertainty occurs uh, before, uh, I'm talking about distance, uh, the region up there where these clouds are and the sun and the moon. Who, who's the authority that can say we don't have certainty about that and prove, and prove anything? Okay. Uh, all, all through their life, people look, look up in the sky, and they trust their senses, and they say, there's, there's the sun, there's the moon, there's clouds. You're saying, well, we don't have certainty about that. Okay? That's where the word practical becomes very important, because everybody's going to disagree with you. Because they believe this in oh, their life, just, and they ask as if this is true, and so do you. You believe this is true as well. You don't sit up there and philosophize about, oh, you know. Well, the sun up there looks like a sun, but you can't prove that that's the sun. You can feel heat, but it doesn't prove anything. We don't know for sure. You know what I mean? But nobody believes this kind of nonsense. You know what I mean? Because it's not practical. I mean, because if you start to apply that kind of thinking, you can't even live because you don't have uncertainty. So why should I go to work? I don't know if I have a job. People claim I have this job and there's money coming in, but you can't prove anything. And I, I don't have certainty that I actually have a boss that I have to be responsible to. It's all theoretical. I don't have absolute certainty, so I'm not going to go to work today. See the lack of uh, practicability. This, this is this isn't a plight for us. This is the plight for non-believers, and they don't have certainty, and they can't have certainty about anything. That's my point. They can't appeal to consequences in order to save their position either, because that's fallacious. <laughs> just because it ha- just because you don't like the consequences of this, it doesn't make it not true. I mean. I mean, even say whether something's more practical or less practical, that assumes an objective standard by which to measure practicality against. So an atheist doesn't have that. They don't have any objective standard to measure against for that. So they can't even know whether something's more practical or less practical than something else. It's all arbitrary. It's just their arbitrary feelings, their arbitrary subjective opinion of what's practical and what's not practical. (laughs) I mean... Did you understand that? No, some guy's asking me a question in the chat room. Okay, well. You're exposing that Dave he doesn't actually listen to everything. He's kind of fake. I don't I don't I don't again I don't disagree with I don't disagree with you on the cloud behind the moon thing now though, because I just go with I submit to the revelation, so Okay, it's just based on one thing, natural observance. This is how we live our life. Everyone lives it. 
this way. So I'm appealing to that. This is what we all believe. Okay. Yeah, but natural observance with the right basis by which to justify that observance. We we act differently in the daytime uh, than we do in the nighttime. And the reason we do is because the sun is out or it's not. And this happens every single day. Whether And the cloud covers it. Well, the cloud, it's there. I can't see it. Uh, but I believe the sun is there, even though there's clouds and I can't see. We all believe the sun is there. Now, the moon is different, right? But we have this firm belief that the sun is, is always there in the daytime, right? But, uh, can you prove it? If you can't see it. Same thing with electricity, by the way. We all believe in electricity. but Yeah, but how, how would an unbeliever account for that and know for certain that the sun is there, though? Well, it actually has to do with the word certain, and, that, and I've talked about that. Uh, you know, I've distinguished between certainty and absolute certainty. We don't have absolute certainty about a whole heck of a lot of anything, you know? If you want to really push the envelope there. It's not, we don't li- again, we don't again, it's way. not, again, back to what I said, it's not about whether these propositions are absolutely true or not. It's about what epistemology or worldview allows you to even make the assumption in a justified way and gives you the basis by which to make the assumption. An atheist or an unbeliever, they, they don't have any, their worldview doesn't even allow them to make that assumption that the sun is real or, I mean, they have no way of even establishing any kind of certainty with that at all. Okay, we yeah, do, because we believe yeah. in God, and we believe that God placed the sun there, and then he created the sun. Okay, that's where I would distinguish between technically, I would agree with you, and practically, no, because we don't live our life that way. But technically, I would agree with you, yeah. Yeah, unbelievers don't live their life that way, but that's what I'm saying. Their, their lifestyle is inconsistent with their worldview. They don't actually live consistently in terms of what they believe. They have to borrow from our worldview, and they operate off that, which is inconsistent. They have to assume that their senses are reliable. Well, the only thing that gives that kind of justification is the assumption of a god and that he gave you the sense, those senses, and therefore you can trust them. And they assume that these laws of you know nature will remain uniform, like the sun will come up tomorrow because it has all those times in the past. Well, they have no... In their worldview, everything's random. Yeah, it's I agree chaos. They have no guarantee of that whatsoever. They don't even have any probability of that. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you earlier. Yeah, so yeah, they have to they have to borrow from our worldview. Okay. They they, they live like our worldview is true, but they they profess this other worldview. See that? Okay. 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 Technically, you're correct, but uh, practically, um, it, the thing is, you have to concede to the atheist because. The atheist is right every single day. He, he's been, he expects the sun to show up, and it does. So, so far, the atheist has been right. And you're trying to say, you know, technically, uh, he doesn't, you know, he, he, he can't determine these things with certainty. But no, I can't. It's not a significant point. I think it is very significant. Well, okay. okay. It doesn't have... <laughs> You know, somebody would get on here and go, what does that have to do with my everyday living? Well, not a whole heck of a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, people don't even think about these things, you know. And they don't – the average person, he goes, this has no practical value to me whatsoever. You know, you guys could philosophize all you want, you know. So I'm kind of in between uh, them and you. Um, 
trying to make appeal to both, you know. <clears throat> I, just I don't know, man. Well, the atheist... There is, there is a fallacy called the pragmatic... Hold on, there is a fallacy called the pragmatic fallacy. It's to appeal to... Basically, when you try to argue that, well, just because something's practical, that means it's right or it's true. Well, I mean... You see how arbitrary that is? Who who decides what is practical? Who defines what's practical? You're, you're talking to a guy who believes that God destroyed these celestial objects. So I'm not going to maintain that this is an uh, eternal principle, and obviously eventually the crisis dissolved and the dissolutionist. But so far, uh, you know, in our uh, lifespan, the atheist has been correct. The sun shows up and verifies that his belief system is correct so far. The sun keeps verifying his expectation. You know. There's going to come a time when he'd be wrong, and then he'll be in for a big surprise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you kind of just affirm my... You agreed with me, cert- then. Yeah, he thought he had certainty. I'm seeking a middle position here, but I want to push too much. Hey, we got a Jesse uh, in the chat there. He's... He's a really good guy. He might have a question. He could add to the show. You can trust him. I know who he is. So. Okay. I'll unmute him here. Hello? Hi, Jesse. Hey, how's going? Hey, how's it going? Pretty good, guys. Yeah, I've done shows with him. I don't know if you remember. Remember the uh, premillennial propaganda title? Yeah. Uh, that was the first time I interacted with him. So. Uh-huh. Well, have you been listening to all this so far? Or? No, no, I just just now logged in. Oh, okay. Well, you're going to be totally lost then. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've been listening to some of the other podcasts you guys did recently that are on iTunes. Yeah. Okay. Uh-huh. I might be a little lost anyways. I'm not quite as advanced as you guys are. <laughs> uh, pe- people are saying that they have to listen to it two, three, four times. Um even process it it's just for what in the heck is this you know what I mean so, yeah, yeah. I, I understand that and uh, I've talked about talking over the audience's head yeah, this is Chris's show so he can do the heck he wants you know I'll probably upload this in my my podcast yeah I probably have a misplaced hope that people actually understand what I'm saying here and that they listen to all the shows in order and then you know they actually Follow it along, and then they can somewhat understand what I'm saying now. But that's probably you're you're too optimistic. I don't yeah. place that high of a hope <laughs> on, uh, on on humankind. You're, you're an optimist. <laughs> well, you're operating off biblical principles there, so I, I like that. Now, basically, what the Bible says: believe- the majority of mankind is belligerent, and he doesn't care about the truth, and uh, he's totally obstinate, and there's nothing you can do to change that. I actually do believe that we live in an idiocracy, and um, oh yeah, I'm almost getting irritated with people on Facebook. That's why I don't dialogue with them. Uh, they've never yeah. dialogued with a scholar. They've never conversed with a scholar. They want to put me on their level. This is the fruit of feminism. All this equality nonsense, which they don't even they're not even follow up anyway because they think women are superior. But uh, no, I know. Facebook, yeah, I know. everybody is on the same level. So I've been a full-time researcher for 25 years, and they treat me that way. They don't. These people, they don't respect you. You know what I mean? Yeah, so, I know. Did you ever see me trying to teach anybody anything on Facebook? No, because 
I, I'm consistent with my belief system. We live in an idiocracy, and you can probably uh, well determine what I think about these people based on what I just said. Okay. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, things are going to change on Facebook because I was told by the Lord to start promoting the podcast, and that's why I changed my name to Contrarious Lives. That's the way it's going to be. I'm not going to keep changing my name, by the way. We'll see what how Facebook likes that. <clears throat> All right, well, I'm going to get back to uh, my challenge. So to get back to my challenge here to unbelievers and how they can demonstrate that they can prove or know anything with their positions. Uh-huh. So the questions that I would advance to them is, uh, how do they know that they aren't a brain in a vat, or that the whole reality is illusory, or that everything isn't arbitrary, or that they're even reasoning correctly? Okay. And uh, you can't appeal to what's practical either, because what's practical doesn't determine what is true or what's real. Not in um, an absolute sense. We've already um, pointed out um, some uh, inconsistencies there. Yeah. But we don't live our life this way. We have expectations. and. Um, I know. I know. I know. I, yeah, they, they're very inconsistent. They don't live their lives according to their worldviews. I agree. That, that just makes the case for them worse. Mm-hmm. So, and I said... You're unable to prove you're not, like a brain in a vat, or that reality is, isn't an illusion, due to the impossibility of proving a universal negative. You can't, you're unable to prove a negative in logic, um, yeah. because it requires, you know, all knowledge of all variables. Mm-hmm. You know, like I can't, I can't, I can't affirm that there are no unicorns, you know what I mean, because... I'd have to have all knowledge of all right. variables yeah. and all, you know, how do I know that there isn't a unicorn out there somewhere? Oh, I don't, so I can't make that absolute statement. Yeah, I've talked about that at some point in the past. Yeah, and I actually believe in unicorns, but that's that's an aside. So, yeah, due to impossibility of proving a universal negative and the infinite variation or possibilities involved, and man not being all-knowing and thus unable to know all the variables, including those that may conflict or contradict with what he thinks he knows. So, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know how an unbeliever would get around that. <laughs> they can't get around it. So that makes knowledge and proof in their worldview impossible. I would agree. Yeah. So Technical. I said... Technically. Uh-huh. You get technical. If you want to get technical, yeah. I, oh, I get technical. You know that. Yeah, well, we're talking about absolute <laughs> truth, so. Yeah. So I, I'm just going to read the rest of what I read. I said, it's not about whether your premises or propositions are true or not, but it's about whether you have a justified basis by which to validly deduce from and assume that they are true, or thus an epistemology that even allows for the possibility of knowledge or truth in a justified and or consistent way, and thus would allow you to make the assumption that you can trust your senses and or your reason. Um, This is proof of God by way of the impossibility of the contrary, all other positions being unable to prove or know anything, and reductio ad absurdum, reducing to the absurd, all other positions reducing to the absurd and the arbitrary. 
without God, you can't prove or know anything. And if you think you can, prove me wrong. The burden is on you. Well, I agree with that because I said earlier that the, the creature is dependent upon God at every point along the line. So that's why I agree with you. Uh-huh. The, cre- the creature is always in the receptive mode in relationship to God. And people don't understand this. So in order to address the claim that you can derive truth from just sensation alone, I said, uh, my counter-argument is that all sensation differs, as we've spoken on already, and everyone has different sensations, so in order to assert this requires a bit of solipsism, assuming that everyone has the same sensations as you and narcissism and megalomania in order to claim that everyone has the same sensations as you. Which you have no basis to even prove or demonstrate that, because that's an absolute, and you can't determine an absolute with observation, because you can't observe everything. <laughs> in response... Uh, the thing about sensations, they all vary uh, in degree, even if it's not detectable. So, Yeah, yeah, so that would make any kind of epistemology based on sensation alone impossible. Problematic at best. Yeah. So So you kind of had a counter argument. You 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 had a counter argument that you mentioned that uh, this can provide quote unquote sufficient evidence. That's a term you used. Yeah, I I coined and, that myself. I'm not saying I created it, but I don't I haven't seen anybody use it, but uh yeah, and I, I wrote, so by what standard is it sufficient? This still requires and presupposes an absolute standard by which to define and measure, quote-unquote, sufficient evidence, which you can't account for. The unbeliever can't account for that. The Bible assumes that uh, the concept of sufficient evidence is, is true because God's not uh, engaged on a fool's errand when he says to test all things, and that's a commandment. In the Greek verb tense, yeah, but hold fast to what is good. It assumes that you can determine things, right? But you're right. But see, you can you can make that assumption in a justified way because you're presupposing God's revelation. Yeah, yeah. I'm asking, how can an unbeliever even? How can they ha- even have sufficient evidence? Okay, well, okay. They can't. You're going to run into this problem with every single example that you come up with. Are we talking about God and man or man in isolation? So you have to deal with this every single time with everything that you brought up. You're talking about man in isolation or God and man? One man and God. I think you're That's, you're I think you're mis you're uh misrepresenting what, what I was saying. I didn't mean to. I'm just I'm Not saying, how, how can an unbeliever, how can an unbeliever, an atheist, even establish what constitutes sufficient evidence based on their worldview? They can, outside of an arbitrary definition of what that means. Okay, now in this instance, you know what I mean? um, we are, it's just we're putting God in the background as if He doesn't exist. We just got this atheist, and he's trying to do everything by himself. The only thing he can do is appeal to himself, but he's not an authority. He thinks he is. Exactly. That's my point. <laughs> exactly my point. By the way, who you're, is the affir- you're, you're affirming what I'm saying. Yeah. Who is the authority in this society? Is it 
show me one person. This is, this is when you realize how bad it is. Who is this person that you can appeal to uh, as an authority? It depends what subject. But we're talking about like philosophy, mm-hmm. you know I mean? that kind of thing. Uh, we're not talking about um, uh, you know computer skills. Mm-hmm. Depends what you're talking about again. Because there's experts out there, and, and they know a heck of a lot more than you or me. I mean, I don't know anything about this subject. You're an expert, you know. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about philosophical matters. We're talking about the nature of reality. We can talk about cosmology. By the way, we're going to talk about cosmology, or you're going to do that later? Yeah, we'll do that. I'm almost done with this. Oh, okay. I, I thought you were going to read or something. Uh, yeah, I was. Okay, cool. Yeah. So... Uh... Like on, I said, we can't just assert these things ad hoc and with no evidence. You know, like uh, the, Chris, can you define uh, epistemology and also ad hoc? Epistemology is a theory of knowledge. Yep. So how you how you know what you think you know. Mm-hmm. You've heard me talk about that in the show. And uh, ad hoc is what? Ad hoc is, uh, it, it actually is, I think it's a Latin term. It means for this. Mm-hmm. Basically, when you just... In terms, in order to explain any kind of phenomena, you just like throw out a theory to explain it. Like you don't, you don't deduce from axioms and, and reason in a valid way from your propositions, which would allow you to say, well, how can I explain this? You know, deducing from my propositions, you just throw, you just make up any kind of theory to explain any phenomena just on the fly. You know? Yeah. <clears throat> It's also called proof by assertion. Assert something with no evidence. You know, you're not deducing from any proposition. You just throw an assertion out there to to account for something. Does that make sense? Uh huh. Okay. There's actually uh, there's something called Hitchens' razor. Christopher Hitchens, that atheist philosopher, but. It's actually pretty good. It's called Hitchens' Razor. It's basically, he said that uh, if you assert something without evidence, it will be dismissed without evidence. So it's basically, he's refuting the ad hoc fallacy, which that's, you know, I, I would agree with that. You know. So uh, I went on, I said, this is why I reject terms like, quote, common sense, and I also have a problem with, you know, the term like self-evident, because they are ambiguous and undefinable. If everyone, everyone has different sensations and different interpretations of those sensations. Okay, I remember that you had a problem with me using the word self-evident, but uh, if you go back to the stove, or or the banana, or it, it, no, no, I think that... I think it only works in the context again of if if you're operating off of our worldview, then you can say something self-evident. I mean, because if you assume that there's a God who exists and that he established laws that govern nature and that keep it uniform, then, yeah, you can have things that are self-evident. When I talk about self-evident on the show, I use it quite a bit from time to time. I'm talking about things that uh, uh, have to do with sufficient knowledge, not absolute knowledge. And I'll be the first to tell anybody that. I know, and that gets back to... That gives back to the same, how can an atheist or an unbeliever, how, how do they even establish sufficient knowledge mm-hmm. about anything? 
Yeah, what you're doing, you're, you're, you're retreating backwards um, to previous causes, and you're looking at these previous causes. The common man, he doesn't even think about these things. You know I mean? so, yeah, I know. <laughs> I think that's a problem. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, they don't think, period. Right? <laughs> no, no. Most most of them don't know. And if they were listening to this, it'd be like, wah, wah, wah. They wouldn't even know what, what the heck we're talking about. they just get confused and frustrated. And maybe yeah, they're laughing or maybe get angry. Um, what happens to the programmed individual when he hears information that he can't process? And emotions start to well up. Anger? Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe insecurity or pride? These guys are fools. They think they know so much. I'm going to attack them. Yeah. But he can't process what we're talking about. It's, and he knows that. All he can do is mm-hmm. lash out or walk away. Because you have to educate yourself first, sir, to be qualified to even understand what the heck we're talking about. And that is going to take years. I'm so sorry. Yeah. That's the way it is. So, yeah, I said, uh, this is why I reject terms like common sense and self-evident truths because they are ambiguous and undefinable if everyone has different sensations and different interpretations of those sensations. This is just an attempt to make one's personal feelings and sensations an absolute measurement by which to apply to and impose upon everyone in an ad hoc way. That's what what I wrote about. What do you think about Christians... Protestants who have this absolute firm belief that there are 66 books in the canon uh, without any evidence. Can you see any evidence for that magical belief? No, there's no evidence what, what, for that. What would you appeal to? It, there's no objective standard. There's not even a council. It's a magical no. belief, and yet they all believe this, don't they? And they actually judge you by whether you agree with their assessment. If you say there's 65 books or 67, they're going to freak out. They go, you're not a Christian. Do you believe in the Trinity? Kind of stuff. Yeah, I know. We're talking yeah. to children, aren't we? Children who are the uh-huh. most highly programmed people in the history of the world. We're talking about religious programming. We're also talking about people who God has literally blocked their minds. Yeah. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is the kind of people we're dealing with here. <clears throat> yep. Like, uh, like this guy that I was just telling you about that was critiquing Drake. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I mean, with, yeah. with either one of these guys, it's hit and miss. But this guy was wrong on so many. He's you know, it, There you go. He's assuming all these things are true, like the Trinity. Yeah. One assumption after another. It's just yeah. because this is what he was told, and he believed that this truth comes from God. Prove it. Yep. Can't do it. I'd like to talk to that guy, by the way. And if I talk to these people, I'd like to have you right there. I, I go sick you on them. I'll, I'll cover for you. You can do most of the work. You get in trouble, <laughs> then I'll come out. I don't know if I can. I don't. I don't know if I could do that with Drake, though. I think Drake is. Uh, he's just as. Uh, he's mastered logic probably more than I have. I can circumvent all that. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, there's ways we could still, but yeah, I mean, he's... Uh, the most powerful argument um, is to ask somebody a question that you already know they don't have the answer to. And in order to do that, you have to be very intelligent. This is the method that Jesus used, and um, if sure. someone wants to get aggressive with me, 
that's my greatest weapon. And uh, I have what's called Blitzkrieg apologetics. Nobody's ever heard about it. And uh, I'm not going to wield it out there unless I have to. Um, but if I do, uh, no one's ever been confronted with this before. And uh, they're going to be over their head. I can neutralize anybody unless, you know, we're talking about something that I'm not an expert on, like mathematics. We're talking about the things that we talk about. Yes. And if I ever got in trouble, I just resort to that, and, uh, and now you're in trouble. And, uh, mm-hmm. At the very least, I'm not going to lose an argument. I'll just neutralize it, and then we'll have to come back a second time and then go from there. But you're not going to win anything with me the first time around. I'll, I'm going to set you off balance. Um, Blitzkrieg apologetics is I'm going to ask you a question, and I think you're arrogant enough to get it aggressive with me. And um, you're not going to be able to answer the question. And if I want to even get more aggressive, I'll ask you, have you ever thought about this? Now, you're going to be a, look foolish in a public format. And let's create apologetics. I'm going to back you into the corner. Everything that happens from this point forward, you're going to go backwards into the corner. And you're going to learn while everyone is watching. Mm-hmm. And you'll start, you'll start to get real humble real quick, Mr. Mm-hmm. Expert. That's not going to work on me. So that's what people are in for. I'm not going to bring it out until I have to. Anyway. Okay, so to finish what I was saying, I said, uh, for example, if I'm looking at a tree in front of in front of me, it is not whether that the proposition of that is absolutely true or or that I can absolutely trust my senses in that instance and disprove that the reality isn't a hologram or that my senses aren't reliable, but it is whether I can make that assumption that my senses are trustworthy by deducing from a justified first postulate or premise or axiom or basis that would allow me to make such an assumption in a consistent and justified way, you know, the, which would be that God exists and that he gave me my senses and created an external environment that I can interact with with said senses and thus would you know, give me that basis by which to trust them in a qualified qualified way. So I said, uh, my contention is that the only justified basis that would allow you to do that is the presupposition of and deduction from the axioms revealed to you by an omniscient or all-knowing mind, particularly by the biblical God, because, you know, the axioms in the Bible say that the biblical God, he's unchanging, so he's reliable, dependent, you know, the propositions that he reveals will never change, at least within this within each creation cycle at least, so they're absolute in that sense. Um, so you can trust what he reveals, is what I'm saying, based on his revealed nature in the Bible. Uh-huh. Which is the only thing that would allow for you to have assurance to assume that your senses are trustworthy, because an all-knowing mind would know everything and all the variables, and thus would know whether everything was a hologram or an illusion or arbitrary or not and whether or not you could then trust your senses. Mm-hmm. So I ended it, I said, quote, on the basis of two or three witnesses, every matter will be established. You know, because that's, I mean, that's your statement from the Bible there, that obviously you can trust your senses. Mm-hmm. And you would have to for that statement to make any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe so yeah, but an atheist teaches. or an unbeliever, they have no basis or any justified basis by which to trust their senses or make those assumptions or know or prove anything. I, I, so. I believe that the Bible teaches that we can trust our senses, but obviously it's going to be pretty limited. Yeah. 
Uh-huh. And where, who's the authority that can define the limits in each specific category? Sometimes you can if it's glaringly obvious, but uh, obviously not always. So we always have this problem. That's the problem with a creature. It has to do with uncertainty. If you yeah. want to make propaganda effective, convince everyone that you can be certain. And that's what they've done. That's why they gave us a false epistemology. But the well, creature, they haven't really done that. They've convinced everyone that they can be certain, assuming that they're the authorities and operating off that basis. You know, The creature rarely has absolute certainty, if he ever does, but he has to rely on God for all that. That's exactly. That. That's, that's my point. Yeah, you can also, be certain, but you can only be also, certain... You can only be certain if God reveals something to you, you know, and then you... Also, this is, this is kind of amusing, but uh, practically, I would agree with presuppositionalism. The reason it's kind of amusing, because in this instance, I'm the one that's being technical, and that's why I'm not affirming, um, you know, presuppositionalism, all of it, totality, and being a little bit technical there, and, and you're the one that's being a little bit more practical. Isn't that interesting? If you grasped all that, I don't know. <clears throat> Uh, I get. I don't know. I guess. Well, I, I essentially. <laughs> what, you agree, mean by, I, what do you mean by I, practical? I essentially agree with presuppositionalism. I'm yeah. just being a little technical because you, I don't believe that you can prove God quickly. It's going to take some time. Eventually, well, I mean, be what, I, what I just said. Evidence. What I just said took some time, but I think I proved God. Well, I don't think people would be convinced, but uh, I think it, the problem may be... Yeah, but, well, my, my challenges and my burdens, the burdens on them now to see whether they can prove or know anything without God. That's my point. See, God is proved by impossibility of the contrary, knowledge being impossible in all other worldviews, which I think it is. I don't know how they can get around everything I just said. I know they can, actually. And, uh, you know... Um, Reductio ad absurdum, all other worldviews reducing to the absurd. Well, one thing we agree on, <laughs> which the atheist doesn't seem to understand, is the creature uh, or human, he can't disprove the existence of God. That, that's a complete absurdity. But his, their minds are so stunted because of their ego, uh, because of this narcissistic society where they're in love with themselves. Uh, they got your entire life to figure this out. And what we're trying to figure out is that you cannot disprove God. Can they figure that out? No. They think they can. So what do we call this person? Call him a fool. Mm-hmm. That you are as a fool. You've got your entire yeah. life to figure that out. But, you know, you've got to slay your own ego first, sir. You can't do that. They're in love with themselves their entire life. Then they go into a coffin, ignorant. Yeah? Yeah. You had plenty of time. Did you accomplish um, that? No, you didn't. That's a fool. And they don't listen to reason because they're in love with themselves. They can't hear. <clears throat> I have to be right. You're a creep. Yeah. Oh, you're in the superstition. <laughs> they start mocking. Yeah. Uh-huh. Watch if I ever run into one of those fools when I do with them. <clears throat> All right. Well, I can uh, continue Drake's book now. All right. From where I left off. So he wrote... Previous. Oh, you've already been reading it out of it? Is this this Flat Earth book? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to assume that he doesn't know that you're talking about him. No, no, he doesn't. 
I, I don't believe that he's listening to my podcast at all. Oh, no. Uh, he's got his mind on other things. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah. Why don't you um, say a little you know, intro about him? He calls himself the Southern Israelite. Just, I mean, I've already... Just for my audience. Okay. Oh, okay, right. Um, well, he's a guy on YouTube. His real name is Drake Shelton. And uh, he's written like 10 books. He's got pretty extensive education. Um, Where did he go to school at? Uh, I, I, don't, I think he might have went to multiple different schools, uh-huh. but I know he went to graduate school or something. I don't remember what, but he's a really smart guy. I know that. But, uh, well, I can just read this uh, little uh, description of him on the back of this book. It says, Drake Before Shelton. You go on, he has a radically different mind than I do. Okay, so go ahead. He thinks a lot differently than I do. He well, processes information. Something. He ter- interprets reality differently and He's a radically different mind. No, I would say in some in some ways. I mean, he, well, his, his epistemology you, is, more, is is the same. He believes that you need revelation from God and that you have to. Yeah, I'm only talking about two people. If you look at uh, the entire uh, world, he and I would be in this tight little category of intellectuals, and we'd have all these things in common. But I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the differences between him and me. Okay. First of yeah. all, uh, he doesn't even talk about revelation. And I do more and more. Uh, he talks about uh-huh. revelation, but not extra extra biblical. No, he doesn't even believe in that, as far as I know. Yeah, but he yeah so, he talks about revelation he, though. He's going to proceed but, off that premise, and he's going to make a judgment about me. He, he's not going to receive this stuff because he's that's not compatible with his belief system. So, anyway, go ahead. Okay, well here's his little. Uh, Description of himself says, Drake Shelton is the author of now nine books, an extensive academic bibliography, and thousands of articles. He writes in defense of the Protestant Reformation and Southern nationalism, calling all Protestant and Bible-believing peoples of British and Northern European descent to unite and continue the work of the Reformation. Uh Uh-huh. i got a lot of problems with that. (laughs) Pretty much everything ran down the line, so I'm not going to go on right now, but... Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, mean, I have problems with every, everything. There is based on a premise. Yeah, and uh-huh. he's proceeding off that premise to draw other conclusions, and I disagree with the premises. Yeah, I agree. He, he, he yeah. holds. You could ask Drake. Have you ever uh, considered the possibility of a, a, a counter reformation within Protestantism? I'm, I'm assuming he's never thought about this before. Well, this second question. Do you think this might be important? He would just blow it off. Okay. Sure. Can he can he prove anything? Because we're talking about infiltration. No, no. So yeah. who has the absolute knowledge that this never occurred? I'm going to tell you right now. You know who has this knowledge? No one. But guess what? He's still going to disagree with me because it's something that he's never heard before, and um, he thinks that he has sufficient knowledge right now. Yeah. Huh? So if he hasn't heard of something, then it must not be true. This is the way he thinks. Okay. Now, when I hear something I haven't heard well, before, I go, "Hmm, maybe that could well, be hold true." Hold on, hold on. We, we, I don't mm-hmm. know if we can make that. I don't. I don't know if we can make that assess a judgment. I'm what, not what sure. Specific, what specifically? That he that he thinks that way. I don't know if he. I don't. I'm not really sure that he does. 
Uh, it has to do with the word respect. When you hear something that you haven't heard before, if you respect a person, then you don't immediately assume that it's false. You think along the lines, well, perhaps this could be true. But um, I don't see anyone teaching Drake anything. He teaches himself. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, he assumes that he's the teacher. I agree with you yeah. on that. But uh-huh. but I don't but I, I don't know if I'd go that far to say that if he just hears something that he's never heard before, then he'll just well, reject let me put a, it. a qualifier on that. Let's let's put the, inject the word outlandish. First of all, it, it, it's going to be important, and so if you have something important, it's kind of big, and mm-hmm. the big things we're not going to believe that these things are true because I haven't heard of them before. Something that important, like for instance, when I got on Hoaxbusters, I started talking about the artificial night sky, cloud behind the moon. Oh, we shut that down right away. You know why? Because it's like you're just, you know, coming in here. You have the secret, I'll call it knowledge. That, yeah, yeah, from their perspective, I'm claiming that I have knowledge that none of you guys have. And it's like you're yeah. not going to do that around here. Yeah. Uh, but I just yeah. let him go. I didn't even answer him because I go, oh, okay, that's where we're going to operate, okay? So I just let you talk. Uh-huh, Yeah. Hello? Yeah, I'm not going to destroy the person okay. on his own show because I'm not going to look good. His audience would be on his side. and By the way, my audience would be on my side, cheering, chuckling in the background. Yeah. That's the way it works. No, I know. That's why I uh, – that's how he responded to my emails, to my, my challenge for him to come on my show. I literally just said it's going to be man-to-man, just you and me. Like, I don't have a big audience, so I don't really even let callers call in. Like, I'm not – it's just going to be you and me, you know? He responded by, uh, how about you come on my show instead? I'm like, oh, okay, I see how this is going to go. see what you're doing here. Hold it, did he ever respond to you? That's what he responded. Oh, so he did respond, okay. Yeah, he wanted me to come on his show instead, you know, which is an obvious trap because he has a massive audience and they all, he he lets them all on there and they're all yes-men to him because they assume he's the cult authority. This is going to be just what happened with with, uh, that Lynn chick that was on there where she was arguing for flat earth. Everyone just got on there and they all just drowned her out and were, you know what I mean? Are you talking about the foul mouth feminist? Uh, yeah, that might be With her. a uh, vocabulary like a sailor? I don't, I don't know. She's very intelligent sounding. I don't know if we're talking about the same. Oh, okay. It must be somebody different. Because there's yeah, a lady no, on there talking about flat earth. He was arguing with her, and it was one F-bomb after another. It was absolutely disgraceful for a woman to behave like that. That might have been her, but that might have been after him and, like, five other people that he let in there were all just drowning her out and not letting her talk at all. Are there they any all just, scholars? They all, just agreed, they all just agreed with Chris Kendall. Are there any scholars in the world that have credibility, uh, like drop one F-bomb after another? Can you think of any scholars? No. 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 And, and no one would give them any credibility. But for some reason, these people believe that they have credibility anyway. I can do whatever I want. Well, that's what you think, uh, but not other people. You're ill-mannered, and uh, you actually lost my attention. Just making a fool out of yourself. It doesn't matter how much you pound the table and how many F-bombs you throw. Uh, you just lost your audience. <clears throat> anyway, say maybe Drake Shelton would be an exception. He throws some out of bombs, but I don't lose interest when he does because he can actually back up everything he's saying for the most part. I'm making a deli- uh, 
deliberate effort not to criticize him, and I told you that before the show. So. <laughs> no, I, I agree with you, though. Yeah, you shouldn't. It hurts well, I, his credibility, but I don't think I don't think he cares is the point, which is why he does it. Oh, that's intellectual arrogance right there. Yeah. He would probably say he's justified, though, to be a little arrogant since he's studied so much and, you know, whatever. But I don't want anyone to assume that Drake has read more than I have. I'm 60 years old. Oh, no, I wouldn't assume that either, no. Uh Always remember that. He read a lot, though. I know that for sure. Well, he proceeds off the assumption that he's more learned and lettered than everyone. Don't, don't yeah. assume with me, okay? I I know. I'm definitely not assuming with you. Yeah. Compared to him. Actually, I'm not, I'm not me, doing that. Uh, I'm psyoping everybody right now because uh, the psyop is you, you don't know what I know because I haven't told you yet. You never know with me. What does this guy actually know? I haven't told you yet. That's a psyop. So people never know what they're getting into with me. Yeah, see I agree. Uh-huh. Uncertainty. Yep. When you get around me, you've got to test the waters um, in an attempt to not make a fool out of yourself in a public format. And uh, some, But some people are not like that. They assume certain things. And uh, what are the results so far? It's not good. Right. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to read. That's all right. Uh-huh. Okay. So to continue from where I left off from my last call um, in the chapter, let me get to the title of it: the heliocentric model dismantled. So the last thing uh, he talked about was basically that there's no uh, annual, there's no stellar parallax, there's no annual parallax, which is which is just completely devastating to the heliocentric model. I mean. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely impossible on the helio. That fact alone just completely destroys the whole model. It's just completely impossible. Do you know? Do you know what that is, Dave? You know, I'm actually in the Hoaxbusters chat room here. I'm distracted, so I get. Okay, well, I'm going to explain it to you. So go ahead. Yeah, I'm going to explain it. So try to listen. Okay, so so if you have the Earth, the Earth rotates around the sun, supposedly, right? Mm -hmm. In the heliocentric model. Mm-hmm. So, over the course of the year, you know, six months later, it's going to be on the opposite side of the sun, right, according to their model? Mm-hmm. So, if you have a star that's, say, directly above, like, the North Pole, for instance, if you have it, if it's directly above the North Pole, like, and and, and at one time of the year, and six months later, when the, when the Earth is supposedly on the opposite side of the sun... In order to observe that same star that was directly above the North Pole, you know, six months earlier, you should have to look diagonally to see it, right? Because its position would have moved. <laughs> isn't that isn't that correct? I'm not the right. Pr- I think you should just bypass me. <clears throat> now it has to follow necessarily. Its position would have to move, right? If the Earth moved, you know, if it is on the opposite side of the Sun now, six months later. Any any star that you would observe would have to its position would have to move. I just want to say that every flat earther that I've ever heard of has a false uh, epistemology, and the reason is they're not intelligent enough. And also, I talk about the ego. 
they just think they discovered something great, and and they did. They exposed a big lie. Okay, but um, uh, they they are completely unaware, uh, apparently because they've been slain by their own ego, of these um, unknown variables. They always think they can determine everything, and I'm saying no. Okay, and there's going to be unknown variables with that too. So if we start speaking about absolute certainty, that's when we're going to back off and go, hmm, uh, I I might agree with that or not. I have to think about it. But this is the way these guys talk. We can prove this, prove that. Okay. Well, and this is just according to their model. It would have to follow by necessity if those premises are true. It's not. I'm not disagreeing. I'm not disagreeing. I'm thinking about this. I mean, I'm thinking about this. I'm not sure. The 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 point is is that there's no evidence of any parallax of any that the stars do move at all that their positions change over the course of a year that's completely contradicted by all the evidence like the North Pole star that's why the flat earthers pound the table about the North Pole star remaining the same in the same position for thousands of years for for as long as it's been recorded it's been in the same position affixed above the North Pole do you know stationary. Of any- Christian this is completely class. impossible on the heliocentric model. This fact alone just destroys the whole thing. You, so, do you know of any Christian flat earthers that believe in artificial night sky? No, not exactly. I don't either. Uh, so that's why I would have a problem with these kind of things. They think they have certainty. Mm-hmm. You don't have any certainty about a North Star, period. And nobody can prove anything, so... If it's dependent upon the uh, position of the North Star... Yeah, but I mean, that you could just make easily make the argument, why would the Illuminati fabricate the stars and not have them have annual parallax in order to debunk their own model? That's, well, what I would say to someone <laughs> who questions... That's pretty absurd, you, I mean... What I would say to them is, how can you prove that the Illuminati didn't do that to amuse themselves? Can you disprove that? Did they just do some things to have fun because they're so arrogant and just... Can you disprove that? I mean, it doesn't do matter anyway because our epistemologies are based on the Bible, and the Bible re- reveals that the Earth isn't a sphere. So this is all irrelevant. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, See, now I'm being too technical. Uh, Dave, just go on with the show here. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I agree with you, but I mean, I, I'm just saying our epistemology is based on revelation, and the revelation is that the Earth's not a sphere, and that these observations are conform to that. You know. Anyway. You know the parallax. Whether, I, mean, they're I, true I don't or not. have a, I mean, they I don't have a problem with, with that. I don't. I don't want anybody to think I have a problem with that. I'm not. I'm not denying it. Okay. I'm just saying that you could create problems if you wanted to. So I'm. I'm going to go along with it. Okay. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm going yeah, to agree. agree. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well. Uh, so his next point is uh, the quote little piggy cam high altitude balloon footage. This is a video on YouTube. Showing the Earth to be motionless and perfectly flat at over 121,000 feet of altitude is a prima facie refutation of the sphere okay. model. Okay, I'm just going to say for everyone there's here, en- you hold, can- hold on, hold on. There's, en- there's endless amounts of video footage on YouTube showing the Earth to be nothing like the heliocentrists describe, and they have been forced to make endless moving the goalpost fallacies, claiming that there is a curve to the Earth. It's just that the Earth is bigger than we thought which is completely ad hoc. Okay. Uh, I just want to say for everyone to hear, there are no deep conspiracists on you, Boob. There's nobody. Okay? Uh-huh. I mean, I have to search around for a genuine intellectual. If you don't if you think I'm wrong, go put intellectual on, on YouTube, 
and you'll run into this guy who thinks he's an intellectual, and all he ever did was memorize propaganda, and he thinks he's, he's really smart. You can't prove anything ever with a balloon launch. Now, the reason is you have to infallibly prove that... Well, yeah, you can. You can prove that the Earth isn't how they describe it to be. No, if it's based on a camera, you can't prove anything. Oh, okay. No, I see what you're. I see what you're saying. Yeah. See, I'm a deep conspiracist. Yeah. These, these dum dums, they don't I've, want to. But you're, they you're don't. assuming. You're assuming a lot of things, though, that just confirm our view anyway. Well, sure, I am. But I, what I'm because saying is an important point. They can't absolutely yeah. prove anything, but they think that they can. They think they have absolute proof because they're trusting the camera. What happened to all the camera footage at all these big events that the Illuminati pulls off? These public events. They're they're altering the footage. Or they're sure. destroying it. And no one talks about this. Where'd all the footage go? You know, I, I don't care if it's down there in Orlando where you got the, um, you know, the shooting down there. Where's all the footage from the cell phones? Right. And anything that you see but is what they want you to see. No, I know. But, you, but so, you're, you're addressing flat earthers that don't. I'm just saying don't. you can't absolutely prove anything with that. They want, they're true believers. No, hold on. They you're, want you're, addressing, believe. you're addressing flat earthers that don't operate and don't have, their basis isn't revelation. Yeah, I would agree, but our basis is revelation, and the revelation is that the Earth isn't a sphere. So whether these cam- whether the camera footage is real or not, if it is real, then it is consistent with the revelation. These guys are so out of the mix, it's incredible. So I'm not going to monitor all their little uh, experiments. What I want you is to tell me how many years from now it's going to take for these... Um, <clears throat> Uh, devolutionary entities to start discussing on a serious level that the that, that camera could be tampered by some higher power. They're just you don't have any absolute proof at all. They think they have absolute proof. No, I don't agree. Want, I agree. Uh, it actually has to do with they want to be a big shot and go, oh, look what I accomplished, and, and it always has to do with promoting their YouTube channel, which is monetized. I agree, but did you agree, do you agree with what I said, though? I repeat it. I was just saying that... I think so, yeah. You're addressing flat earthers that don't operate off the basis of revelation, that are just trying to prove these things with their observations and camera footage, experiments, whatever. Uh-huh. Yeah. Whereas we're operating off revelation, and the revelation is that the Earth is not a sphere, and so regardless of whether the, the actual camera footage is real or not, if it is real, then it conforms with that revelation and it debunks the sphere model. You would agree with that, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, no, I agree with you, yeah. I mean, flat earthers, yeah, that don't operate off, you know, they don't operate off revelation, and they can't prove anything. None of these experiments prove their view. I'm completely in agreement with you. You know, if people act in accordance with what they believe, and, uh, okay, so I'm going to do that, too. I could never, ever get sufficiently motivated if I had the resources to send up some kind of a little uh, rocket or something to hit the firmament. You know why? Because I have personal certainty in my own mind. The Illuminati is not going to allow that to happen. You know, something with a little camera on it. They're going to knock it down. Uh, These guys don't think that way. No. I, I couldn't even no. get sufficiently motivated to make the effort. I would never even try because I have a completely different belief system. That's what a deep conspiracist are. There are no deep conspiracists on YouTube. Never uh-huh. seen one, ever, not even close. They don't even think this way. They always think they have certainty. It has to do with their ego. God slayed my ego a long time ago. Okay? Mm-hmm. 
And then he started to pour all the knowledge in. You know, I've talked about before how, you know, the path to truth or enlightenment, whatever you want to call it, it passes through the gate of humility. Here's the question. Sure. You pass through that gate? Tell me all about it in your personal life. I've suffered greatly. These are sufferings that God sovereignly put in my life for a good purpose in the long term. They have not been through these experiences, but I have. So I have a different perspective. And I don't assume people think I'm arrogant. Dave, he thinks he's always right. No, I don't. That's why I say things like, I don't know. I'm not sure. Yeah. These guys believe that they have the truth already. And they're banging their own drum. Look at me. Look what I did. Pay attention to me. All right. Here's the thing about these guys. Almost every one of them didn't know that much. I'm talking about the little guys, not, not, not the big players. The big following, the big flat earth movement following. They didn't know that much in the first place before flat earth movement came along. So how did you acquire all this intelligence in the last couple of years? It takes longer than that. So you're still some some of some of them didn't. I wouldn't. I know that. I I know. But you know, I'm talking about all these followers. Oh yeah. They 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 don't even call them a soft conspiracist. I don't know what you are. And now they think they're a big shot, and they want to go around and argue with everybody. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. They don't. They they know very little. Yeah. And every the clock is ticking. It's an idiot test, and we're going to see. You got to make some radical moves here with your flat Earth cosmology. We're going to see how many years it's going to take to do this. It's not happening. You need a leader. You're rudderless. All right. You don't have a leader. You have no authority. You're just stumbling around in the dark like you were before. You discovered one thing, a big lie, and you're banging the drum, I, and it altered your reality, okay? Well, I'm not impressed. Do something. Go somewhere. They don't know where to go or what to do. Yeah. Uh, well, they're too busy defending their model to critique it. You've got to critique. I critique my cosmology all the time. They don't do that. They defend it because they're slayed by their own ego. They're children is what they are, all right? Mm-hmm. All right, well, I'm going to continue. All right? Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes on, he says, We are told that gravity holds millions of tons of water to the earth, yet flying insects and birds deny its power as if it doesn't even exist. The heliocentric explanation of this, again, assumes upon the failures of Aristotelianism. Exactly how many water molecules is a subject, again, Gravity supposedly has an ability to discriminate between the things it wants to attract, like it is a divine being. And as I prove, okay, and he says, why is it that gravity seems to go after my feet first instead of my center of mass, whatever that is, is a bit perplexing on their theory. Convenient that we walk on our feet and not crawl on our bellies. That's very convenient. The heliocentric view of tides is special pleading and the overwhelming exception fallacy, where the gravity of the moon, exponentially smaller than the earth, overpowers the gravity of the earth. Is this really a fact or a theory? Eric Dubay states, quote, If gravity is credited with being a force strong enough to curve the massive expanse of oceans around a globular, globular earth, it would be impossible for fish and other creatures to swim through such forcefully held water, end quote. 
YouTuber Dog Cam Sport published high-altitude balloon footage which shows a particular heat spot on the Earth's atmosphere proving the sun is not exponentially bigger than the Earth and millions of miles away and disproving one of Aristosthenes' primary assumptions. The solar eclipse shows the sun and moon the exact same size. To believe the sun is exponentially bigger than the moon requires us to deny our reality and is the begging the question and a proof by assertion fallacy. Okay, so he believes the solar eclipse is caused by the moon eclipsing the sun. Which is a good theory. Any basic airplane flight comparing movements east to west and west to east refutes the idea that the Earth is moving. I personally have taken two round-trip plane flights from Kentucky to California and back, and it took the same time to fly both directions. Heliocentrists explain this by saying that the atmosphere moves with the Earth in a one-to-one -one ratio. Is this a fact or a theory? One, this is ad hoc reasoning and an argument from silence fallacy. By what means does it move in a one-to-one -one ratio? Do the clouds have engines? Two, we know from watching the Weather Channel that the clouds do not move in a one-to-one -one ratio with the Earth. Three, this theory does not explain how east-to-west plane flights travel at the same speed and take the same time as west-to-east flights. Yeah. The globe images we have been shown our entire lives are CGI. As we see from the NASA article, Blue Marble, 2012, in the caption, quote, this composite image uses a number of swaths of the Earth's surface taken on January 4, 2012. A composite image is not a photograph, reader. What they just admitted to you is that this image is CGI. NASA goes into even more detail in its article, VIIRS Eastern Hemisphere Image, behind the scenes. You can even see how the size of North America has changed so radically through the years. So, yeah, so NASA's official images of the Earth, they've taken uh, the continents are drastically different sizes, yet the Earth is the exact same size in all these photographs, proving it was taken from the same distance, so it's impossible. It just proves they're fake. <laughs> now you must ask yourself, why would NASA need to make these composite images if they really have these satellites as far from the Earth as they claim or traveled into space as deeply as they claim? The images NASA published from a camera aboard the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration Deep Space Climate Observatory, supposedly a million miles away, also appear to be CGI as the clouds do not move. The developments in modern camera technology have destroyed the strongest arguments globe adherents have used to prove the supposed curvature of the Earth. The YouTuber Jaronism published a video, Boats Over the Curve, 100% debunked, Flat Earth Confirmed, where we see the reflections of birds over the water showing prima facie evidence that the water in front of the boat is atmospheric distortion, not curvature. Now, heliocentrists complain that this image is still a problem for Flat Earth because the reflection of the bird is full while the reflection of the sail on the boat is not. This is easily answered. One. The birds are closer to the horizon than the boat is, is, as you can see at the 13 minute and 31 second through 32 second mark, and the birds fly in front of the sail. And two, the birds are a different size than the sail.
The universe as it is given to us by NASA and the Department of Education is actually nothing but the imaginations of skilled graphic artists. The images of the so-called planets that the government gives us are aesthetically pleasing CGI. In reality, though, there is no such thing as a planet. When observing Saturn through a telescope, this is what you see. He's got a little image there taken from someone. Reality is in agreement with what the Bible says in Genesis 1, that the stars are lights in the firmament, not planets. The paradigm of our universe that modern atheist people live in is sadly not the one we see or experience. The true horrifying reality is that it is one that is saved on the hard drives of graphic designers who work for the government. <laughs> According to heliocentrism, the different climates of the Earth are caused by the tilting axis of the Earth while it orbits around the Sun. According to this model, the North and South Poles should have the exact same climate, yet they do not. Zoologist Paul Ward's website, Cool Antarctica, documents the extreme differences between the Arctic and Antarctic regions from their climates to their animal life and their plant life, so that he comes to the conclusion that they are, in his words, quote, polar opposites, end quote. Yeah, which actually is funny because the Earth is supposedly tilting, the North Pole is supposedly tilting away from the sun during the summer months, yet the South Pole still remain, remains the same all year, even though it's actually closer in their model. <laughs> yet the ice in the South Pole never melts, and it remains an inhospitable climate, and the North Pole is a radically different climate, and the ice actually does melt, and it's actually warm and tropical, and just, the whole thing makes no sense at all. <laughs> makes way more sense on the quote-unquote flat earth model, even though I wouldn't call myself a flat earther. I'd, I'd affirm a, a plain earth, which I think is what the Bible teaches. I don't think you can there derive... There you go. Yeah, you can't derive a, an absolute flat earth from the Bible. That's an assumption not found in the Bible. So That's really good, yeah. because I've, I've been trying to think of a proper term to describe their belief system, because you don't want to use flat. I think the Illuminati came up with that term. They, they came up with it a long time ago. They borrowed the term. See, that's, why, that's the value of yeah, it's actually a, It's actually a weaponized term. It's literally it's a weaponized meant to use, term. Yeah. They're, they're not intelligent enough to what, What's hilarious out. is that most flat earthers will say they don't actually believe the earth is flat, like absolutely flat, a piece yeah. of paper, but that's what the term... That's what the term implies. So why mm -hmm. even use the term? I mean, it's just blatantly a weaponized term. You know what I mean? It's, it's meant to discredit itself. It's self-defeating. Yeah. And this <laughs> is why they need an authority that they can listen to, speak to them as little children, and, and convince them of this, and then actually bring about real, tangible change. Now, how long is this going to take? The entire movement needs to be renamed, and they need to reject that term. You're defeating yeah. yourself every time you say the word flat. And yep. That's exactly what it's designed to yeah, do. You're working Get against people yourself. to reject you. That's what it does. Yeah. Yeah. Is it true or is it not true that in the 20th century, the Illuminati, as far as we know, they made that the greatest absurdity known to modern man, the concept of a flat earth? So oh, yeah. that's, Total the burden that you have to over, that's the burden that's the burden that you have to overcome. Yeah. You want uh -huh. to circumvent that term. Do an end run around it. Psyop them back. Don't don't use it. You're helping them. Come out the controllers, the black magicians, whatever you want to call them. 
They haven't got that far yet. They'll realize eventually. You watch. Eventually. They'll, they'll still call it flatterers, but the other people will say, I don't like that term anymore. I'm not going to use it. And, that, and those people will become more and more prominent, and there'll be a group, break-off group, and they'll become um, larger and larger. But they haven't got that far yet because they're not thinking. They're too busy defending and, and glorifying themselves. Look what I found. Why don't you listen to me? You guys are all fools. You globe heads or whatever. They they're so stuck at that level. The insults back and forth. Look how great we are. What's wrong with you stupid idiots? Why don't you believe in the flat earth? It's so obvious. Okay. Yeah, I would, uh, I would clarify and say that I believe in a, a plain earth, P-L-A-N-E. I think yeah. that is can be derived out of the Bible, clearly. Um, mm-hmm. For instance, it says the earth came up from the waters, almost like an island, which is what all the ancients happen to believe. Um, And uh, it also says in other passages that the earth was inscribed onto the face of the deep. He inscribed a circle onto the face of the deep. The actual Hebrew term there for, like, inscribed, it's it's referring to, like, uh, almost like how ancient cylinder seals were. You know, how it was almost like a carving and a... A, an ancient cylinder seal or a, an inscription. So, I mean, that verse right there tells you that it can't be a sphere. It's not a globe. It's some kind of plane. It's inscribed onto the face of something. See what I mean? And, uh, you know, Isaiah also says uh, he, he sits above the circle of the earth, and, you know, that you can't say that that's a sphere because Isaiah used... You actually use the Hebrew word for ball. I think it's like dur or something in the same in the same book, but he didn't use it there to describe the earth. You know, so it's <laughs> pretty clear that it's, the Bible teaches a circular plane, Earth. You know, would you agree with that? I wouldn't feel comfortable with the word plane with my cosmology, but. Um... Yeah, I've said like I'm a near flat earther. Well, we're talking about mid Midgard. Midgard is a is it's it's a it's, it is generally a plane, you know. For the most part, you, it is plain. Can I ask you a question? Because I actually don't know this. Okay, is there anybody on YouTube or some other amateur cosmologist? I guess that's, that's what we all are, right? Um, according to the institutional system, that believes that the um, that you know they have a a model, and we're talking about Middle Earth here. Um, that is both concave and convex. I'm talking about a significant level. Is anybody out there like that? Well, anybody who would uh, affirm uh, Orlando Ferguson's map would, would, but I don't know how many people do. Yeah, that's true, yeah. Because there are people on YouTube that do, that do affirm that map. There you go. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I think that yeah, Mount Meru's in the center, and it's oh, hold it. Now. There's there's convexity in the center. Yeah, gradually up, you know, hold inclining. If Mark Sargent, last I heard, he was affirming that model, then he would believe this. He, he, but what yeah. he does, he comes out, he uses this bad terminology, but then he then he you know he says flatter, but then he comes out and qualifies it, and when you actually analyze what he's saying, he's not a flat earther. But he says flat earth over and over again. Now, this is a guy who spends all his time thinking about the subject. He can't even get that far? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Let's make some advancement here, right? Yeah, but generally we would affirm that the earth is a plane. I mean, aside from the 
the middle and the edges. I mean, it is yeah, essentially. And actually, yeah, I mean, the, the farther away you get from the Earth, the more you're going to affirm that. It, it's a point. Yeah. yeah. When you get closer, I can't affirm that. So, really, generally, sure. yeah. yeah, I can agree with that generally. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's like an island in water, which is what the ancients generally believed in. <laughs> I don't uh, think the, the curvature in my model is that significant, but I have a large mound in the middle, and that is significant. And that's that's right. convex. So yeah, well, I actually think it's a mountain, but I mean, it's uh, it's very large, it's yeah. extremely large, and it's it's, very broad. Yeah, yeah. I don't have yeah, a problem. Yeah, I can, I, I I actually put Mount Muru in the title. Uh, at the very end, I talked with Frank. Mm-hmm. Then I changed it to Earth Magnetics. Then I changed it again last night. I put Magnetic North. Wouldn't that's better? Magnetic North. Yeah, I think that the sun and moon are actually linked to it uh, electromagnetically, and that's why they circuit around it. They're connected mm-hmm. to it. No, I absolutely. And I also think it. I also think it. Uh, it it's 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 helps to cause why you can't see. The, you know, it helps to cause the sun setting, even though that's not the only reason why the sun sets, but it, it helps that because it, it's actually that large where it eclipses the sun when it goes around it. Uh-huh. So. So, I mean, I absolutely believe in the concept generally of Mount Maru, but that uh, I wouldn't typically use that terminology. I won't very much in the future, but uh, that that's kind of a Buddhist term. And uh, But once they, if you actually look at their cosmology, they got the mountain that things start to deteriorate rapidly, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After that. They got a big truth there, though. Yeah. So, he goes on, he says... Uh, and and by no the way, ep- Chris, how, how do you prove that that mountain does not exist? How do, how do you go about that? Just for the flat earthers? How, how do they do that? It doesn't exist. You can't prove a negative, so... Oh, yeah. You never prove that it doesn't exist. And they say, well, can you prove it? I said, no. I'll be the first to tell you that. But they're always proceeding off the assumption they have certainty. So if you have certainty, go prove the mountain doesn't exist. Then you'll find out how much certainty you have. Right? Go ahead. Yeah. He goes on, he says, there's no evidence that the moon is a spinning sphere. The moon always gives us the same face every day because it is not spinning. Adam Hadhazy writes in Discover Magazine article, why do we always see the same side of the moon? Question. Why does the moon always present the same face to us? I find it impossible to believe that this could happen by chance. That was from Michael Connolly in Toronto. Answer, nope, not by chance. It's pure physics. For starters, the moon is not stuck in place with one side facing us. Our lunar companion rotates while it orbits Earth. It's just that the amount of time it takes the moon to complete a revolution on its axis is the same it takes to circle our planet, about 27 days. As a result, the same lunar hemisphere always faces Earth. How'd this come to be? In a word, gravity. <laughs> the moon's gravity slightly warps our planet's shape and gives us tides. Likewise, Earth tugs at the moon, creating a rocky, high-tide bulge facing us. That bulge ended up working like a brake, sh- slowing the moon's spin down to the current rate so the lunar high tide permanently faces us. <laughs> When that happened about 4 billion years ago, the moon became, quote, tidally locked. Isn't that convenient? And it has presented us the same visage ever since, end quote. Mr. Hadhazy begs the question on numerous grounds. First, 
his solution is quite convenient, isn't it? You see, if we assume Mr. Hadhazy's heliocentric theory to be true, we can later conclude that Mr. Hadhazy's heliocentric theory is true. It has a dizzying effect, doesn't it? Second, he doesn't know what gravity is. That is an ad hoc fallacy. Third, this convenient solution with the lunar high tide permanently facing us makes his position unfalsifiable. Fourthly, NASA states, quote, The moon's orbit around the Earth isn't a perfect circle. The orbit is slightly elliptical, and because of that, the moon's distance from the Earth varies between 28 and 32 Earth diameters, or about 356,400 and 406,700 kilometers. In each orbit, the smallest distance is called perigee, from Greek words meaning, quote, near Earth, end quote, while the greatest distance is called apogee. The moon looks largest at perigee because that's when it's closest to us, end quote. Isn't it inconvenient that though the, the moon's orbit is locked in and has been for four billion years, and this locked-inness somehow isn't a perfect circle and varies up to four Earth diameters? Can someone say special pleading? Maybe overwhelming exception fallacy? Or maybe theoretical science is a massive crock of shite. <laughs> the heliocentric theory that the moon reflects the light of the sun is baseless and contradictory to reality. The heliocentrists will tell us that the light of the moon is not its own, but a reflection from the sun. First, this contradicts scripture, as Genesis 1 tells us that the, that the moon is its own light to rule the, to rule the night. Second, this is completely foreign to our experience of spheres reflecting light. Here is the moon supposedly reflecting light, and here are examples of spheres reflecting light. So he's got pictures here. Spheres, when reflecting light, do not reflect a circular homogeneous light or a speckled spotty light. They reflect a concentrated light in the center, usually in a cross formation. And then the light, you know, gradually diminishes when it gets to the edges because the center is closest to you if it's a sphere, right? So you'd have a hot spot in the center, and then the light would gradually diminish the farther away from the center facing you you got, which is not what we observe on the moon. The moon is homogeneously lit, indicating it can't be a sphere. It can't be reflecting the sun's light and be a sphere anyway. No doubt the heliocentrists will complain that the texture of the moon is different than that of the spheres listed above. They will then be forced to admit that we cannot reproduce conditions of such a texture and such a sphere here on Earth to compare with the moon, thus making their position an appeal to authority and unfalsifiable. Lastly, Randy Crow demonstrated that the moon gives off its own light, cool light as published on YouTube channel Crow777. The moon is not reflecting sunlight. Weird plane near chemtrails. That's the video. The heliocentric theory of the full moon is a baseless theory. According to the heliocentrist, the moon is a sphere that orbits around a sphere Earth. If that was the case, there should be no full moon. The full moon phase should be an eclipse every month. The heliocentrists explain this, saying, quote, A lunar eclipse occurs when the moon enters the Earth's shadow. A solar eclipse occurs when the moon's shadow falls on the Earth. They do not happen every month because the Earth's orbit around the sun is not in the same plane as the moon's orbit around the Earth, end quote. This is where Hitchin's razor comes in handy. The problem with this theory is that it is just a theory. There is nothing to prove it but assumptions laid on top of assumptions. 
Moreover, as I have already shown, the sun is not that far away from Earth, and its light does not hit the Earth homogeneously, indicating that it's local, not that far. The heliocentrists tell us the lunar eclipse is caused when, quote, the sun, Earth, and moon are in a geometrically straight line in space with the Earth in the middle, end quote. Yet, as it has been seen many times, lunar eclipses have happened when both the sun and the moon are above the horizon. Yep, and there's actually videos of that on YouTube as well. People got video footage of that happening. The daylight moon does not look like it should on the heliocentric model. The daylight moon is clearly in the path of the morning sun and Earth's atmosphere. It should be eclipsed by the Earth's umbra, or at the very least its penumbra, due to Rayleigh scattering. Heliocentrists tell us that Apollo 11 installed a retro-reflector on the moon, a device the size of a suitcase, and shot a laser at this suitcase. Per the Lunar Laser Ranging Experiment, 238,855 miles away, striking an object the size of a suitcase located on a sphere moving 2,286 miles per hour while spinning from the Earth, an object moving over 60,000 miles per hour while spinning 1,000 miles per hour. (laughs) Folks, that claim is so ridiculous, the amount of faith needed to believe it surpasses even the most outlandish religious nutter. Refuting the popul- huh? He's assuming that this moon in the daytime is genuine. Yeah, yeah, he was there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you can't prove that. No. Now that, that that's something that people say, well, Dave, can you can you prove it? Well, actually, if you look at the evidence, it indicates that it's fake. Prove to me that this is historical. Right, it's historical, right? It's a historical anomaly. I don't see any evidence before the 20th century of people believing in a daytime moon. Well, there's people actually, uh, there's people actually alive too that don't remember it, like in their early lifetimes. I mean, it's almost something that could be very recent. (laughs) Uh So he needs to look into that. Uh, Uh, Anyway, um, what is his explanation for the? um, solar eclipse again? I think it's the moon eclipsing the sun. All right. Well, that's a nice try. And I give him credit for that because uh, at least there's some kind of object besides the uh, the Earth. Because that, that's absolutely false. We know that's false, right? But, yeah. Um, he's probably not considered the possibility of the, you know, the concept of the dark star. Now, that... I, I think, he, I think he has. He's talked about that. Oh, really? He's talked before. Yeah, dark objects. Uh, but you can make an appeal to that historically, century after century. You can document. You know, some some centuries we don't have that much information. You know, maybe in the 13th century, I don't know. I'm just saying, century after century, whether you can document it or not, people have believed in these dark stars. It's an ancient yeah. belief. And yeah, it's, yeah, not, it it's not passed into the modern era. And that's the value of YouTube. YouTube is going to help us. You're going to have, you got these free thinkers on there. And they're talking about stuff like that somewhere, but I don't think that... Okay, let me ask you a question. Have you seen anybody on YouTube explaining uh, the solar or uh, lunar eclipse by these uh, dark celestial objects? Oh, yeah, there's a lot of of videos on that on YouTube. So they think it's like uh, um, like Nibiru or Planet X or uh, something like that? They think it's a dark sun, Rahu. 
All right. Well, on YouTube, there's a lot of crazy beliefs. I'd like to see who these people are and what else they believe. Yeah, there's a lot of videos of that of that theory. That's actually a pretty common theory for the eclipse. In the, Can in you the, remember to send me a link? I'd like to I'd like to check that out. A, a good sure. link on somebody. Uh, you may forget, but uh, I'd like to see that. Mm-hmm. All right. Go ahead. All right. So... By the way, I don't spend a lot of time on YouTube looking at all this stuff. I'm talking about watching the video from end to end, and I actually, I'm making this public, okay? Like, I uh, I, I inquire from other people, um, like this other Chris fellow, and actually Channing. Channing will get on there and tell me all the stuff on YouTube that I, I'm not looking at it. And then I, uh, I make an analysis. I call up him my eyes in the field or anybody else, you know? I can't do it all myself. And I, I literally don't have enough time. So yeah. I'm not making the claim that I know everything on YouTube, and no, nobody else knows either. There's just a vast amount of information on there. So um, so I get it from other people. And then if my interest level is high enough, then I'll go check it out myself. So. Yeah, I, I don't remember the exact people that have put out those, but I have watched thousands of flat earth videos, and I do remember there was there are quite a few that do posit that theory. Well, here's the thing is that my experience so far, when people start getting involved in what I would call an esoteric cosmology, uh, things deteriorate rapidly, and it it gets into the realm of just pure kookiness. So I'd like to see somebody out there that's got something to bring to the table. Uh Uh, That's probably their their biggest hit right there. They're probably not going to have much much else, you know. Maybe they believe in Mamuru, too. You know, hey, you got two of them. I don't know, man. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. So he uh, goes on. He says, refuting the popular arguments for heliocentrism, the Coriolis effect. Is the the Coriolis effect a force that causes an effect, or is it itself the effect of some force? You cannot have it both ways. Secondly, some heliocentrists will tell us that the military exterior ballistics compensate for the Coriolis effect and instruct their gunmen to lead a long-distance target to compensate for the Earth's spin. Here you have to lead the target because the atmosphere will not carry the projectile with it, while in Scott's cannon experiment, heliocentrists use the excuse that the cannonball falls right back to the cannon because the atmosphere does carry the projectile as it moves in a one-to-one ratio with the Earth. The same excuse is used to explain east-to-west plane flights. But again, you cannot have it both ways. But yeah, he pretty much devastated the Coriolis effect there. They're using it to explain two completely contradictory phenomena. (laughs) The full-call pendulum. This proves nothing. The pendulum must first be pushed into motion. The pendulum would not need to be put into motion if the Earth was moving. Full-call pendulums do not uniformly swing in any one direction. Sometimes they rotate clockwise and sometimes counterclockwise. See also Robotham, Zetidic Astronomy, 1881, page 236. See also Maurice Elias's observations of pendulums showing slowing during eclipses. The equatorial bulge. The equatorial bulge argument is guilty of the induction fallacy or affirming the consequent. This theory is not based on video footage of the subterranean elements of the Earth moving to create this bulge. Like everything else involved in heliocentrism, we are faced with a baseless theory. 
heliocentrist choose out of an infinite number of possible explanations the conclusion they want you to draw. The construction is a classic induction fallacy. If P, then Q. Q, therefore P. If the Earth is moving, there will be a bulge at the equator. There is a bulge at the equator, therefore the Earth is moving. That is a logical fallacy. Why cannot the centrifugal force, whatever that means, of a rotating universe around a fixed Earth cause the bulge? By the way, there is no bulge in the CGI images of the Earth that I have seen. Yeah, there isn't a bulge. All the NASA CGI images show a perfect sphere. Which is contrary uh, to what they supposedly b- believe about the Earth. I'm going to mention Channing again. Okay, and this is his contribution. Um, he says that when you uh, Google, is it Google? When you ask Google what is the shape of the Earth, it no longer says it's a sphere. You can go try this. I haven't tried it yet. He, he says that they say, uh, Google says it's an oblate spheroid now. <laughs> and wow. You see, NASA is moving away from that as well. Uh, supposedly. I mean, is there an official statement from NASA in totality? Like, this is our official statement. It seems like it's like compartments of NASA that say these things. Is this an official statement overall? I'm not talking about somebody from NASA. I'm talking about they're actually coming out. We are NASA, and here's what we say, and then make it public. I haven't really done that yet. Well, Neil deGrasse Tyson said it was pear-shaped, so I don't even think they know. (laughs) I mean... Based on their own admissions, they don't even know what shape it is, even though they supposedly have satellites out in space viewing it every day for 24 hours. So that tells you right there that something's awry. I mean, (laughs) why don't they have a uniformity of opinion on what it looks like when they have the satellites supposedly out there viewing it? I mean, that that should be a red flag in your mind right there. (laughs) Something's wrong. Heliocentric scholars have admitted that heliocentrism was never proved. Albert Einstein said in the evolution of physics, quote, Take two bodies, the sun and the earth, for instance. The motion we observe is again relative. It can be described by connecting the coordinate system, or the frame of reference, with either the earth or the sun. From this point of view, Copernicus's great achievement lies in transferring the coordinate system from the earth to the sun. But as motion is relative and any frame of reference can be used, there seems to be no reason for favoring one coordinate system rather than the other. (laughs) Physics again intervenes and changes our common sense point of view. The coordinate system connected with the sun resembles an inertial system more than that connected with the earth. The physical laws should be applied to Copernicus's coordinate system rather than to Ptolemy's. The greatness of Copernicus's discovery can be appreciated only from the physical point of view. It illustrates the great advantage of using a coordinate system connected rigidly with the sun for describing the motion of planets, end quote. Thus, we can affirm that it is just as possible for the train station to be moving towards the locomotive at 60 miles per hour as vice versa, <laughs> if all motion is relative. Galileo renounced heliocentrism in his later years. Galileo states, quote, The falsity of the Copernican system should not in any way be called into question. Above all, not by Catholics, since we have the unshakable authority of the sacred scripture, interpreted by the most erudite theologians, whose consensus gives us certainty regarding the stability of the earth. 
situated in the center and the motion of the sun around the earth. The conjecture is employed by Copernicus and his followers in maintaining the contrary thesis are all sufficiently rebutted by that most solid argument deriving from the omnipotence of God. That's, yeah, that's actually a really good argument. That's the argument, that's the epistemology that I operate off of, Revelation. It is able to bring about in different ways, indeed, in an infinite number of ways, things that, according to our opinion and observation, appear to happen in one particular way. We should not seek to shorten the hand of God and boldly insist on something beyond the limits of our competence. End quote. That was from Galileo. Stephen Hawking states, quote, So which is real, the Ptolemaic or the Copernican system? Although it is not uncommon for people to say that Copernicus proved Ptolemy wrong, that is not true. As in the case, our normal view versus that of the goldfish, one can use either picture as a model of the universe, for our observations of the heavens can be explained by assuming either the earth or the sun to be at rest. The real advantage of the Copernican system is simply that the equations of motion are much simpler in the frame of reference in which the sun is at rest. End quote. <laughs> Bertrand Russell admits, quote, The merit of the Copernican hypothesis is not truth, but simplicity. In view of the relativity of motion, no question of truth is involved. End quote. Alfred North Whitehead admits, quote, Galileo said that the earth moves and that the sun is fixed. The Inquisition said that the earth does not move. Right, hold on, i got to plug in my phone. Okay. And Newtonian astronomers adopting an absolute theory of space said that both the sun and the earth move. But now we say that any one of these three statements is equally true, provided that you have fixed your sense of rest and motion in the way required by the statement adopted. End quote. <laughs> Copernicus's system was said to be the simpler system because earlier he affirmed only 34 epicycles. Yet his 1543 construction contained 48 epicycles, eight more than Ptolemy. In Giovanni Ricciolai's Astronomia Reformata, Tycho Brahe's model was modified to in include elliptical orbits, and Riccioli remained a geocentrist until his death. Luca Popov, author of, quote, Newton-Mackian Analysis of Neo-Tychonian Model of Planetary Motions, published by the European Journal of Physics, 34383, quote, aim to demonstrate the kinematical and dynamical equivalence of heliocentric and geocentric systems. Also wrote, quote, stellar parallax in the Neo-Tychonian planetary system submitted to the same journal, defining the mathematical explanation of the Tychonian geocentric model. Albert Einstein invented his theory of relativity to explain away the geocentrist demonstration of the Michelson-Morley experiment. Einstein stated, quote, While I was thinking of this problem in my student years, I came to know the strange result of Michelson's experiment. Soon I came to the conclusion that our idea about the motion of the Earth with respect to the ether is incorrect if we admit Michelson's null result as a fact. This was the first path which led me to the special theory of relativity. Since then, I have come to believe that the motion of the Earth cannot be detected by any optical experiment 
though the earth is revolving around the sun, end quote. <laughs> the heliocentric argument for the sky being blue actually proves that it should be violet. Violet has the shortest shortest wavelength, and thus, on the heliocentric theory, the sky should be violet, not blue. NASA states, quote, the visible violet light has a wavelength of about 400 nm. Within the visible wavelength spectrum, violet and blue wavelengths are scattered more efficiently than other wavelengths. The sky looks blue, not violet, because our eyes are more sensitive to blue light. The sun also emits more energy as blue light than as violet. End quote. That is a tautology, begging the question and circular reasoning fallacy. Basically, what NASA just said was, the reason the sky looks blue and not violet is because it looks blue and not violet. <laughs> the heliocentric understanding of outer space is impossible. Heliocentrists tell us that outer space is a vacuum. This is impossible without affirming a firmament to the Earth. The only way you can have two radically different environments juxtaposed to each other is when a barrier or a firmament is involved, just like with a propane tank. Heliocentrists do not even know where space is. Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University Scholarly Commons, quote, Where is space and why does that matter, end quote, by... Bavia Lau, Science and Technology Policy Institute, and Emily Nightingale, Science and Technology Policy Institute, November 5, 2014, quote, To ascertain where space began, we started by looking for clarity in the definitions of space and found that most of them stem from the perception that space is what is beyond the Earth's atmosphere. However, there is no consensus over what constitutes the delineation between Earth's atmosphere and beyond. <laughs> Section 103 of the NASA Authorization Act of 1958 defined the term aeronautical in space activities as, quote, research into and the solution of problems of flight within and outside the Earth's atmosphere. In the same vein, NASA's definition of space in the Dictionary of Technical Terms for Aerospace Use did not specif specify a point of delineation, but called it, quote, specifically the part of the universe lying outside the limits of the Earth's atmosphere, more generally the volume in which all celestial bodies, including the Earth, move, end quote. So they can't even, they don't even know the delineation between the Earth's atmosphere and space. <laughs> wow. The YouTuber Veritasium's video, The Truth About Toilet Swirl, Southern Hemisphere, attempts to prove that the swirl of draining water proves the Earth is moving. The problem is he admits and shows that two sinks right next to each other can drain in opposite directions. <laughs> Yet he maintains that the reason this is so is because there is motion already in the sink beforehand. Yet this is simply an assertion. It is yet another baseless theory. Examine the video for yourself and see that right before he pulls out the sink stoppers, there is no motion in the sinks. There is no axial precession, but on the contrary, evidence that the sun used to circuit more tightly and concurrently to the North Pole but has in the process of thousands of years drifted its circuit out southward. Many have argued that the North Pole used to have a tropical climate. See CBS News article by Jessica Razalik, study North Pole once was tropical. 
it is impossible for there to have been a tropical North Pole on the spherical Earth model. Now many atheists, after having their entire worldview ripped to shreds, will make an appeal to authority fallacy and demand that we simply trust the government. Finally, many atheists will simply make an appeal to incredulity and tell us they simply cannot psychologically come to grips with the truth, and at that point, no more argumentation is necessary. <laughs> so that was the end of that chapter. You know what an atheist is? Do I know what an atheist is? Yeah, somebody who believes government propaganda. Oh, yeah, somebody who believes the government is the, the divine authority. In the institutional system. So he's got his yeah. entire life to figure out that this is propaganda. Remember I talked about the ego? Uh-huh. Some, some of the biggest egos out there is these atheists. They're so arrogant. Okay, Mr. Atheist, yeah. sir. I'm just talking about has the thought ever occurred to you over the course of your entire life that this could be propaganda. Let's talk about science, too, that science could be propaganda. Never even crossed their mind. So we're not dealing no. with intelligent people here, are we? No. No? Because they're not thinking. I just proved that. Yep. It comes down to you know whether it's important or not. It has to be important. It's something insignificant. I'm not proving anything. But if it, that's massively important. Does it ever cross yeah. their mind? No, they have an institutionalized mind. They can't veer away from that. They're too scared, actually. They have, you've heard me talk about how all men are suffering from anxiety. You've heard oh, me yeah. talk about that. Ancient Greek philosophers said that every action of man is to alleviate anxiety. Uh -huh. well, they have residual fears, too. Don't fool yeah. yourself. Uh -huh. What would it be like to be a conspiratorialist and be an atheist? That's pretty oh, scary, man. So they yeah. have to re repress these little fears that they don't want to talk about publicly, but don't think that they don't have them, because they do. Yeah, Drake, Drake calls it their sugar daddy. That's the government. <laughs> That's why they can't, can't be a conspiracist, you know, because their sugar daddy is the one that pays for all their institutions and pays for their career and, you know. Yeah. That's Their why ego they is attached to all that. Yeah. But they they have this primary drive to appear normal. That's what they have to overcome. That impedes their search for for truth. They can't they can't overcome that. They want to appear normal. Sure, yeah. But they have it's a false standard of normalcy. Yeah. Uh while we're on the subject, uh I'm talking in the background all these differences, categorical differences between uh Men and women, because they're not equal. That's completely absurd. Okay? Yeah. Uh -huh. And uh, women have more desire to appear normal. Yeah, they, have more, of a herd, they have a, more of a herd mind. The wife has a desire to normalize her husband, by the way, and I've actually seen this more than you yep. can ever imagine. Yep. Yeah, women, women need to have security in the herd. Mm -hmm. They can't. It has to do with security. <laughs> They, they can't, yeah, they can't, yeah. Yeah. All right, so, so his next chapter is uh, the Bible and the flat earth. So this is where it gets, we get to the revelation here, which is good. The modern view of biblical inspiration that has been used to explain away what the Bible says about the nature of our reality is the accommodation view 
espoused by John Calvin, which led us to the modernist and neo-orthodoxy of modern Christian liberalism. John Calvin's commentary on Genesis 1 states, quote, Let there be a firmament. The work of the second day is to provide an empty space around the circumference of the earth, that heaven and earth may not be mixed together. For since the proverb, quote, to mingle heaven and earth, denotes the extreme of disorder, this distinction ought to be regarded as of great importance. Moreover, the word rakia comprehends not only the whole region of the air, but whatever is open above us, as the word heaven is sometimes understood by the Latins. Thus the arrangement, as well as of the heavens, as of the lower atmosphere, is called noitanimersid toito akir, okay, some Hebrew phrase, between them. But sometimes the word signifies both together, sometimes one part only, as will appear more plainly in our progress. I know not why the Greeks have chosen to render the word, okay, some Greek word, which the Latins have initiated in the term, firm, or imitated in the term firmamentum, for literally it means expanse. And to this David alludes when he says that, quote, the heavens are stretched out by God like a curtain, end quote, Psalm 104.2. If anyone should inquire whether this vacuity did not previously exist, I answer, however true it may be that all parts of the earth were not overflowed by the waters, yet now, for the first time, a separation was ordained, whereas a confused admixture had previously existed. Moses describes the special use of this expanse to divide the waters from the waters, from which word arises a great difficulty. For it appears opposed to common sense, and quite incredible, that there should be waters above the heaven. Hence some resort to allegory, and philosophize concerning angels, but quite beside the purpose. For, to my mind, this is a certain principle, that nothing is here treated of but the visible form of the world. He who would learn astronomy and other recondite arts, let him go elsewhere. Here the Spirit of God would teach all men without exception, and therefore what Gregory declares falsely and in vain respecting statues and pictures is truly applicable to the history of the creation, namely that it is the book of the unlearned. The things, therefore, which he relates serve as the garniture of that theater which he places before our eyes. Whence I conclude that the waters here meant are such as the rude and unlearned may perceive. The assertion of some that they embrace by faith what they have read concerning the waters above the heavens, notwithstanding their ignorance respecting them, is not in accordance with the design of Moses. And truly a longer inquiry into a matter open and manifest is superfluous. We see that the clouds suspended in the air, which threaten to fall upon our heads, yet leave us space to breathe. They who deny that this is affected by the wonderful providence of God are vainly inflated with the folly of their own minds. We know indeed that the rain is naturally produced, but the deluge sufficiently shows how speedily we might be overwhelmed by the bursting of the clouds, unless the cataracts of heaven were closed by the hand of God. Nor does David rashly recount this among, among his miracles, that God layeth the beams of his chambers in the waters. Psalm 104.3, and he elsewhere calls upon the celestial waters to praise God. Psalm 148.4. Since, therefore... God has created the clouds and assigned them a region above us. It ought not to be forgotten that they are restrained by the power of God, lest, gushing forth with sudden violence, they should swallow us up. 
and especially since no other barrier is opposed to them than the liquid and yielding air, which would easily give way unless this word prevailed. Let there be an expanse between the waters. Yet Moses has not affixed to the work of this day the note that God saw that it was good, perhaps because there was no advantage from it till the terrestrial waters were gathered into their proper place, which was done on the next day, and therefore it is there twice repeated. End quote. The modernist and neo-Orthodox view of Scripture that Calvin adopts here is absolutely disgusting and embarrassing to any honest seeker of truth from Yah's holy words. Well, geocentrist and heliocentric, heliocentric Christians, if you make the firmament the clouds, then you have a serious problem. On your model, the sun, moon, and stars are not in, under, or anywhere near the clouds. This is completely incompatible with Genesis 1:14 through 20. It says the sun, moon, and stars are in the are in the firmament. Doctor Michael Heiser in the Bible teaches flat Earth. He, like many, have adopted the atheistic modernist view of biblical inspiration, denying plenary verbal inspiration of the biblical authors. In his lecture series, Making Sense of the Book of Genesis, he not only admitted the biblical authors taught a flat Earth, he even displayed a flat Earth image on his projector so that no one could misunderstand him. But Dr. Heiser does not believe the earth is flat, even though he claims to believe the Bible. What he does is he claims that God spoke through the erroneous understanding of the original authors, making the Bible not a divine revelation, but exactly as the liberals describe it, the paltry, ignorant, and pathetic opinion Bronze Age desert-dwelling sheep herders. These men are to blame for the social and moral chaos that exists among us today. Their infidelity is the root of our modern apostasy. <laughs> so that's what he said about Heiser. Hello? Uh, Hello? I'm sorry, I muted myself. Oh, I said okay. Michael Heiser has backed himself into a corner. He doesn't oh, realize yeah. that, but he needs to renounce that ridiculous belief. I think yeah. what he needs is someone that he respects to walk him through that and show him that this is an absurdity and it's... um. Actually, anti-God. Yeah, but don't you think Michael Heiser's too smart? Like, he's too he's probably smart enough where he knows that. He's just he's just um, playing lip service. I mean, there's no way he's not smart enough to where he doesn't know I what think he's with, doing. With Michael there. Heiser, he's very, very busy. He's a very productive person. And uh, that's all great and wonderful, but it it, it, it it creates a problem where you're not reflecting upon your belief system enough. That's true, yeah. I don't know anybody that reflects on their belief system more than I do. Nah. Constantly examining it, running checks on it. And yeah. Making, change, uh-huh. making changes. I have no problem with that at all. Mm-hmm. But he needs to rethink all that. That's that's not a biblical view at all. So. <clears throat> no. Uh-huh. He goes on, he says, uh, as I've already pointed out, Robert Boyle... Okay, no... Uh, Remember, he's claiming that they're scientifically ignorant. No, I know. Yeah. So, I mean, if you haven't heard this before, he's affirming that, you know, people like Moses, and they believe in this, we'll call it a plain earth, okay? Um, He's also ascribing some kind of deception to God, too. God just can't just communicate the truth to people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Also, (laughs) if you haven't figured it out, he's talking about error in the Bible. It's spelled E R R O R. Right, right. Uh huh. 
All right? You hear that, everybody? Yeah. So yeah. That's why I said he backed himself into a corner. And he needs to get out of that corner and renounce that ridiculous belief. And yeah. um, he, he needs someone that he respects, like I said, to show him this. Because sometimes you get isolated just like a rock star. And uh, everybody's telling you how wonderful you are all the time, but no one's critiquing you. That's the problem you run into. I think it's, I'm not saying it's all that. He's just a real busy guy. So, you know, it, he may do this in five years. I'm saying it's not going to happen, but I'm just saying he, that needs to happen. Yeah. All right, so it says uh, this. Okay, um, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called ye seas. And God saw that it was good. Thus we see from Scripture that the land came from the waters. This accords perfectly with the flat earth model and completely contrary to the globe earth model. In the flat earth model, water is the foundation and structure, with the oceans being held in by the ice ring and the earth coming up from the water. However, the globe earth model is completely foreign to the scripture with its foundations being a molten glowing core. Yep. The Bible says the sun, moon, and stars are in the firmament, not millions of miles away. Genesis 1:14 through 18. The firmament is clearly described by Scripture as a solid object. The root Hebrew word, raka, rakia, clearly refers to a solid substance spread out in its use in Scripture. The book of Job describes it as hard and strong as a molten-looking glass. Job 37.18 Psalm 19.1 testifies its existence after the flood. Thus, the, Hoven, the Kent Hoven theory is incorrect. As I've already pointed out, medieval theologians attempted to synchronize the Greek geocentric two-sphere two model with scripture, such as the model presented by the venerable Bede, as already displayed, B-E-D-E. Is this an, an honest description of the firmament mentioned in Genesis 1? No. Genesis 1-7 states, quote, and Elohim the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. Here we have the firmament and the heavenly waters relating to a plane interface, not a round or spherical interface. Notice the waters are not around the earth and around the firmament. They are under and above firmament. This denotes a flat plane interface. The word under here is the Hebrew... Takoth, Strong's 8430. The lexicon states, quote, The King James Version translates this in the following manner. Instead, under, for, as, with, from, flat, in the same place. End quote. Interesting that this word is never translated as around, but is actually translated flat on one occurrence. This is devastating because the waters under the firmament in verses 9 through 10 are said to be on the same level as the land. Yah is called the seas flat. Much the same can be derived from an examination of the Hebrew word translated above. Okay, so I think he's making some assumptions there, but his general uh, argument I think is correct. That, uh, you know, it's obviously denoting a plane interface. 
This is why we read in Genesis 1, 2, and 29 that the earth has a face and the waters have a face. That is because they are a plain interface. Thus we read in Genesis 1, 14 through 15 that Yah also made the celestial bodies to give light upon the earth, also denoting a plain interface. As we read in Ecclesiastes that we are under the sun. We are not rotating around the sun according to the Bible. This again denotes a plain interface. The disgusting sophistry that is used by Christian theologians is to say that the firmament only refers to the sky or generally the earth's atmosphere. The scriptures they will attempt to use are Genesis 1:20, 7:23, 1 Kings 1845, Job 35:11, Psalms 78:26. Uh, 85, 11, 104, 12, 147, 8, Proverbs 30, 19, Exodus 9, 8, 10, Joshua 8, 20, Jeremiah 7, 33, Matthew 16, 2, and 3, 26, 64, Luke 12, 26, or 56, Hebrews 11, 12, and Revelation 19, 17. Using this argument necessitates that the sun and moon be in the same region and space as the earth, sky, and the rain clouds. The only model, I repeat, the only model that allows for the sun and moon to be in the same general region and space as the clouds and the earth sky is the flat earth model. It is impossible to refute Genesis 1:14 through 20 regarding the flat earth. There is no way around it. Where it says the sun, moon, and stars are in the firmament. Hebrew scholars Keel and DeLich, in their commentary on the Old Testament, testifies of the Hebrew of Genesis 1:20. quote, the fifth day, God said, let the waters swarm with swarms, with living beings, and let birds fly above the earth in the face, the front, i.e. the side turned towards the earth, of the firmament, End quote. The language of the face speaks of their position as inside the firmament on the side facing the earth. And notice the use of Strong's Hebrew word, 5, 9, 21, and verse 20 is referring to being above the earth, not above the firmament. We read in Ezekiel's vision that the abode of Yahovah is above the firmament. Ezekiel 1.22, starting. And the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creature was as the color of the terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. And under the firmament were their wings straight, the one toward the other. Everyone had two, which covered on this side, and everyone had two, which covered on that side, their bodies. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings, like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of a host. When they stood, they let down their wings. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. And above the firmament that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne, as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above upon it. Thus the illustrious, illustrious Protestant scholar Martin Luther states in rebuke of the predominance of theologians and their denial of what the Bible clearly states in Genesis 1, quote, We Christians must therefore be different from the philosophers in the way we think about the causes of these things. And if some are beyond our comprehension, like those before us, concerning the waters above the heavens, 
We must believe them and admit our lack of knowledge rather than either wickedly deny them or presumptuously interpret them in conformity with our understanding. Here belong also the phenomenon effects which occur in the air when stars appear to fall, when halos, rainbows, and events similar to these occur in the air, etc. Moses calls, quote, heaven, that entire watery mass in which the stars and the planets are borne along, likewise the uppermost region of the air. But that scheme of the spheres was taught out by later, or was thought out by later people for the purpose of teaching. Scripture knows nothing about them and simply says that the moon, the sun, and the stars were placed, not in individual spheres, but in the firmament of the heaven, below and above which heaven are the waters, to be signs of future events, as we know from experience that eclipses, great conjunctions, and some other phenomena in the air are. End quote. So that was from Martin Luther. That was a quote by him. Hmm. That's pretty interesting. He seemed to... Uh, be denying heliocentrism there. Yeah. So it says, The Bible describes the sun, not the earth, as moving in a circuit above the earth and under the firmament. Psalm 19.6, Genesis 15, 12, 17, 19, 23, 28, 11, 32, 31, Exodus 17, 12, 22, 3, 26. It just goes on and on and on. A bunch of verses. The Bible explicitly states that the earth does not move and never indicates in a single place that it moves or changes its position in the universe. Joshua 10, 12 through 13, 27, 1 Chronicles 16 through 30, Job 26, 7, Psalm 93, 1, 96, 10, 119, 90. Now, I, would, I would affirm that I don't think the sun, or I don't think the earth, I think that it can shake on its foundations but that mm-hmm. its foundations can't move. Would you agree with that? Uh, it actually says that in Scripture, um, if, if you take it literally, that uh, some of these yeah. foundations that can't be moved. Isn't there a Scripture yeah. that says that? Yeah. Yeah, the foundation, the pillars can't move, but it can shake on the pillars, which there's yeah. other passages that say that God actually did that. He shook it on the pillars. Does he believe in literal pillars? I don't know. Most Most modern minds, they they just can't do that. It's too it's too radical of a move. They just can't do it. They don't have yeah. the courage. It's such a thing yeah. as intellectual courage. They don't, they don't have the courage to do that. Uh, it's just too weird. But if, if you you know if you believe something like that, keep it to yourself. You know, don't talk in public because you want to appear as normal as possible, right? Yeah. The flat earthers, uh-huh. by the way, they don't want to appear normal. They like being weird. Look at me. I'm so different than you. Pay attention. Like everything they do is flammable. Don't, don't really they don't really focus a lot on anything under the earth. There's really not a lot of speculation that I've seen on that. That's so probably why there's a there's a lack of uh affirmation in pillars or anything like that. Where does uh, Drake disagree with the you know the the average or common flat plane model? Does he make any significant uh, changes with that model? The YouTube cosmology. I mean, there's not really a common, there's not really a common model, so I don't know. Well, the common model is what gets repeated the most. I mean, really, mm-hmm. the only thing that's I would say that's even could be called common is like the azimuthal projection map. Mm-hmm. But okay, well, that's, it, that's it. I mean, bit. that's it. I mean, 
There's a lot. Well, of, can, there's a there's a lot of people on YouTube that they don't even believe in a firmament. There's yeah. a lot of people on YouTube that they believe that the the Earth is infinite. They believe in an infinite plane model. Yeah, the Infinite Plane Society is it's completely, which is completely absurd, by the way. <laughs> I've watched uh, some of the live shows. I'm watching these live shows uh, late at night. Yeah, and I don't say a single word in the chat room because that would involve teaching someone. They don't want to be taught. They want to affirm their present beliefs. They don't want to learn anything new from an outsider. <clears throat> yeah, I've, actually, I've actually attacking. refuted. I've refuted the whole concept of an of an infinity on a past call that I did, but I mean, that whole claim is just ridiculous in itself. I mean, it, the whole the whole point of the creation is that it's distinct from the creator. I mean, it's it's finite by definition. You know what I mean? If you're going to assert that the creation is infinite, well, uh, <laughs> what's the difference between the creation and the creator? There's no difference. I mean, how can you have an infinite creation? It doesn't even make sense at all. I just want everyone to know that when I um, come across any kind of information from a person, the very first thought that goes through my mind every single time, as far as I know, is this person an agent or are they not? Yeah. Now, I think uh-huh. about 70 to 75% is just an estimation of the so-called leaders on YouTube you know, pushing the platter. I think they're agents, and the rest of them are mostly sheeple. I think that's pretty low, actually. But yeah, it could be higher. I'm trying to be conservative. Yeah, uh, because it's pretty conservative. You gotta, who, who are the leaders? That's kind of subjective, you know, so... Depends who you think the leaders are. Yeah, it could be easily That's be true. higher. Uh-huh. That's true, I'm yeah. saying, I, I, but I said at least. Yeah. And these guys have not figured out that yet. Uh, um, they do talk about the flat earth shills, blah, 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 but they don't realize how many of them. They're actually trusting these people. And they're being fed propaganda to slow down the realization of the true cosmology. You wanna name, do you want to name any names? Um, actually, I you was going to ask... Uh, you want to say who you think is an agent? I'll say, Eric, Eric DeBay is the top of the world. Eric DeBay is a definite, obvious agent. I mean... Well, he's actually telling you that he is. And he, now, why yeah. would he do that? He, that was his mission, to discredit everything. When, yeah. Here's the thing. Uh-huh. When you systematically discredit yourself and you destroy yourself in a public format, what have you just done? He's yeah. smarter than that. He, he was taking yeah. orders. I'm not stupid, Okay. I know how I know how it works. These guys haven't figured that out yet. But he that, he discredited himself. I think his purpose is basically to push the the Jews are evil narrative, and he never defines who the Jews are. Okay, he's uh, got his basically, entire it basically life. gets it gets everyone to conclude that uh, well, he must be talking about the Jews in the Bible, like the Hebrew people, so that they're evil and they're behind everything. And then the and then by by inference, then the Jewish God, the Hebrew God, is thus evil. And yeah, that's. Okay, he has his yeah, entire uh-huh. life. Let's assume that he's sincere. But if he was, he has his entire life to pass an idiot test. And here's the idiot test. Um, uh, is, it, it, is it true that no one can prove anyone is a Jew? Period. Is, is that true? But how are you going to do that? I've already illustrated that before. All the people that are stuck at that level. He's not that stupid, okay? Um, maybe he is. I'll take that back. But uh, you can't do it because you have to rely on – it's one or the other, either revelation – that's not going to prove anything to anybody – or 
established genealogies, which no one has except for the Illuminati. They got, they got the genealogies. They, they follow the bloodlines. Nobody in the public sector has access to that kind of information. It's gone. I'm sorry. And uh, the best thing you can do is make an appeal to traditional families down through the centuries. You're not going to prove any. You don't have any certainty about anything 500 years ago. You may think you no. do. What you have to do is... You don't have any certainty that, from supposed genetic research either, because that all comes out of controlled institutions. What you and, have to do is infallibly prove that your ancestors were not Illuminati. No, that's not a joke. Lots of people have Illuminati bloodline. It's not that big of a deal, because they... I don't like this work very much, but they fornicate a lot, so there's a lot of bastard children. Okay, so how are you going to infallibly prove that... You don't even know if they changed their name, by the way, but they're posing as Jews. Because there's all kinds of people posing as Jews. They're not Jews. The Rothschilds are not Jews. The Rockefellers are not Jews. They used to be called Bauer, you know. They're from Germany, generally, right? Yeah. Uh, you cannot prove these people are Jews. They're posing as Jews, and I've explained why on my show. There's a reason. It has to do with the House of David being linked up with the coming Antichrist. That's, that's it. This is not that hard. So you got your entire life to figure this out. Can you do that? so far. So you're not too smart, are you? No. Don't expect me to be impressed. <clears throat> We're talking to children. Okay. Don't tell me that these people are intellectuals. I think that would be very funny. <clears throat> Drake is an intellectual. Yeah. Without question. I mean, he's not an intellectual. We're all in Big trouble. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's definitely an intellectual. Now, people have embedded programming to reject an intellectual. They have programming for an Illuminati. And you actually see in the body language, like, run, take off. Or yeah, no, I know. I if know. they can't yeah. get the person to physically move away, then turn your brain off and start an attacking on an emotional level. But whatever you do, don't think and consider the information. Yeah. Focus on the messenger and ignore the message. Yep. That's what they do. That's programming. That's what they do. Either run mm -hmm. and hide like a little child or, or act like a different type of child and throw a tantrum and name-calling and point finger-pointing and raise your voice and all that kind of stuff. I don't yeah. get involved with those kind of people unless I want to turn it into a comedy act. That's what we'll do. It'll be comedy. That's my. It's one of my greatest weapons, by the way. It's people chuckling in the background. They don't know that there's people chuckling in the background, but other people do, and uh, they think it's all very funny. And if you want to publicly embarrass yourself, um, you can go right ahead. <clears throat> it's going to be ongoing. With every word they speak. They dig themselves deeper into a hole. I'll give them the shovel, and then we'll applaud in the background. <clears throat> that was a good show, Dave. All right, so let's see. So it goes on. It says, uh, Isaiah the prophet described the earth as circular, not spherical. Isaiah 40:22. It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain. Isaiah uses the word ball in Isaiah 22.18, and it is not the same word used in Isaiah 40.22. So 
So he clearly knew the difference and discriminated in terms of which words he used. Solomon stated that the earth and the oceans are in a circular shape because of a circular boundary which Yahovah fixed to hold the oceans in and describes the firmament as being a hard, solid object, exactly as the flat earth model depicts. Proverbs 8.27, starting, When he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of deep, made firm the skies above when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, end quote. I'm sorry. What's the title of this book? Uh, 225 Reasons Why I Believe the Earth is Flat. Okay, it's unfortunate he has that word in there. I, I figured it probably had to be. Yeah, I know, yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to make, make a big thing out of that. You know? Yeah, he, I mean, he, probably I, knows the, he probably knows that, you know, he's too smart to where he, he, he doesn't know that he would have to qualify that term. I think he's probably um, just using it. I think he's probably just using it to appeal to the widest common audience in this I was uh, just going to say, um, if you want to pop- popularize your material and get it out there, even though we said earlier that people are going to react negatively to that term, if yeah. you want to make your book popular, you're going to um, be working against yourself if you don't use the word flat. So that's maybe yep. that'd be a good reason to do that. So, <clears throat> yep. Just like I, I use the word Jesus on here. Exactly right. No, I didn't used to right. be like I used to say Yeshua and talk about oh yeah Yahweh that's incorrect it's actually a V. Did you know I believe that? And yet I will I will type out Yahweh anyway. Hey, hey why do you do that? Um, just communicate more effectively. Make the information less strange. Yeah. Uh huh. So I'm doing that myself. Yep. It's already hard enough. We don't have to make it too much harder. I think we already did that at the beginning of this podcast. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. For, forcing me to pay attention, and I kept refusing. And then I go, Dave, you better pay attention now. You're gonna, you're gonna. Over <laughs> but the, yeah, the whole time yeah. I was pretty much doing stuff in the background. I, I didn't start concentrating until. I think, I think you, uh, I think you, you were keeping along pretty good. Well, you kind of inspired me there. Otherwise, I was going to end up being embarrassed. So. <clears throat> <laughs> yeah, but I wasn't ready for that at all. At first, I, I, I just told Jerry my head was spinning. I said, I was telling my Jerry's head spinning. I said, my head was spinning. <laughs> Better pay attention, Dave. Yeah. Oh. I don't get why Jerry never calls in. He, like, listens to, the, like, uh, like, every time I'm like on a podcast, he's there. Uh-huh. You should call okay. in sometime if he's listening. Yeah, you don't have to dialogue. You can just uh, throw us a question, you know, verbally. You always type it out too but you don't have to you don't have to dialogue with us you can just hang out there and every once in a while ask a question you know. yeah yeah well, he goes on it says the scripture describes the sun as enclosed inside of a tent and circuiting above the earth as a satellite of so a tent being the firmament dome psalm 19:1. the heavens are telling of the glory of god and their ex- firmament is declaring the work of his hands, day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their utterances to the end of the world. 
In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which it, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. End quote. Scripture denotes our location as being under the sun, not orbiting around the sun. Ecclesiastes 2.11-22. through 22. Genesis 1.16-17 through 17 states that the light to rule the day and the light to rule the night are in the firmament. Jeremiah 31.35 clearly states that these lights are the sun and moon. Objection. Geocentrists will object that Job 26.7 denotes the earth as a suspended sphere. It says it hangs on nothing. Answer, Samuel Robotham states in chapter 15 of his Zetitic Astronomy, 1881 edition, quote, Many have argued that the scriptures favored the idea that the earth is a globe suspended in space from the following language of Job 26.7, quote, He stretched out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. Dr. Adam Clark, although himself a Newtonian philosopher, says in his commentary on this passage, the literal translation is, quote, on the hollow or empty waste, end quote. And he quotes a Chaldee version of the passage, which runs as follows, quote, he layeth the earth upon the waters, nothing sustaining it, end quote. It is not that he hangeth the earth upon nothing, an obviously meaningless expression, but layeth it upon the waters, which were previously empty or waste or unoccupied by the earth. In fact, on and in which there was nothing visible before the dry land appeared. This is in strict accordance with the other expressions of Scripture that the earth was stretched out above the waters, founded upon the seas, where nothing had before existed. If the earth is globe, it is evident that everywhere the water of its surface, the seas, lakes, oceans, and rivers, must be sustained or upheld by the land, which must be underneath the water. But being a plain founded upon the seas, the land and waters distinct and independent of each other, then the waters of the great deep must sustain the land as it does a ship, an ice, an ice island, or any other floating, flowing mass and there must of necessity be waters below the earth. In this particular, as in all others, the scriptures are beautifully sequential and consistent. Quote, The Almighty shall bless thee with the blessing of heaven above and blessings of the deep that lieth under. End quote. Genesis, oh, some Roman numeral, I don't know what it is, 25. X-L-I-V, 25, whatever that is. Quote, Thou shalt not make unto thee any likeness of anything in heaven above, or in the earth beneath, or in the waters under the earth. End quote. Exodus 24. Quote, Take ye therefore good heed unto yourselves, and make no similitude of anything on the earth, or the likeness of anything that is in the waters beneath the earth. End quote. Deuteronomy 4.18. Quote, Blessed be his, ha- his land for the precious things of heaven, for the dew and for the deep which croucheth beneath. End quote. Deuteronomy 33.13 The same fact was acknowledged by the ancient philosophers. In Ovid's Metamorphosis, Jupiter, in an assembly of the gods, is made to say, quote, 
I swear by the infernal waves which glide under the earth, end quote. As the earth is a distinct structure, standing in and upheld by the waters of the great deep, it follows, unless it can be proved that something solid and substantial sustains the waters, that, quote, the depths are fathomless. As there is no evidence whatever of anything existing except the fire consequent upon the rapid combination and decomposition of numerous well-known elements, we are compelled to admit that the depth is boundless, that beneath the waters which glide under the lowest parts of the earth there is nothing of a resisting nature. This is again confirmed by the scriptures, quote, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and stars for a light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If these ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus saith the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel. End quote. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-seven. From the above, it is, it is certain that God's promises to his people can no more be broken than can the height of heaven be measured, or the depths of the mighty waters, the earth's foundations, searched out or determined. The fathomless character of the deep beneath upon which the earth is founded and the infinitude of heaven above are here given as emblems of the boundlessness of God's power and of the certainty that all his ordinances will be fulfilled. When God's power can be limited, heaven above will be no longer infinite and the mighty waters, the great deep, the foundations of the earth may be fathomed. But the scriptures plainly teach us that the power and wisdom of God, the heights of heaven and the depths of the waters under the earth, are alike boundless and unfathomable. That the earth is stationary except the fluctuating motion referred to in the chapter on the cause of tides has been more than sufficiently demonstrated, and the scriptures in no instance affirm the contrary. End quote. So that was from Zetitic Astronomy, written by Samuel Rabotham. I would actually disagree with him there in his reasoning. I think, uh, yeah, I don't think he can make that uh, assertion that the, the the great deep is infinite because the heaven is not infinite. The Bible clearly teaches that. There's a firmament. So he's kind of contradicting himself there. I mean, if he's using the criteria of an infinite heaven and applying that the same criteria to the the deep, well, that's inconsistent because the Bible doesn't say that heaven is infinite. It says there's a firmament that encloses, you know, the quote-unquote the lowest heaven. I think the same is the the same is the case with the deep. I think that there's a reverse firmament that encloses the deep, the waters. Uh, have you ever seen any uh, YouTube cosmologists develop this uh, theory about an anti-firmament like I do? I actually use that terminology, anti-firmament. No, I've never seen that. Okay. Anyway, all these heavens that we talk about, they're all enclosed. Yeah, yeah I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I think he's just, God's just using hyperbolic language. I mean, just because something's unfathomable to man doesn't mean it's infinite, you know. Right. It's not a, it's not a, not a valid uh, assumption or inference. Uh, so what do you think about the guy that is it, is it actually called infinite 
Plain Society? Yeah. Yeah, I got to congratulate him. He's using the word plain. Uh, I hate to put you on the spot. No, that's that's the one good thing, but see how they they poison it with infinite? (laughs) Do you have any suspicions that this guy is on a a payroll? Probably is, yeah. Okay. I don't, I've never listened to any, I mean, I've listened to him like if when he interviewed Jaronism, but other than that, I've never, because I, I, re- I, I rejected the infinite plane thing immediately because I, I knew that that was inca- incompatible with scripture and it was incompatible with what the ancients believed. None, uh, of the ancients, none of the ancients believed that the creation was infinite. None of it. It was finite. It was enclosed. You know? mm-hmm. What's your opinion on, uh, not, not Jaron, but the other guy that uh, does the globe, globe uh, Buster show. Talking about Morgyle? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to put you on the spot. I mean, if you feel like you're being put on the spot, just tone it down or whatever. Do you have I any like Morgyle. I, I like okay. Morgyle a lot. I think he's well, genuine. I know you listen to that show, so. Yeah, I like Morgyle a lot. I think he's genuine. Now, I just um, want to let people know, I don't have, I don't believe these People are agents. The Infinite Plane Society guy. I don't have enough information. That's, I think all. The, I think all the all the guys on Globusters are genuine. Bob, okay. the host. Uh, Jaron is is genuine. That's what I. Jaron, I think is genuine, but I think he's severely misled to the point where. I mean, <laughs> he's almost not really better than an agent because he's his belief system is so warped and wrong. Okay. What. What happens is we're actually born into a sea of propaganda that very few people ever recover from. So as the decades fly by and you're a young person in your 30s, you're automatically buried in propaganda by default. Now, here's the reason why. It takes significant time to deprogram yourself. So if you're out there doing something in a public format and a complex subject that has esoteric qualities to it, you're going to be in significant error by default. Unless you have some kind of revelation or you're being guided by some kind of superior being. I don't see any exceptions out there. Okay. Yeah. So he's going to get smarter and smarter. Um, it's a general rule. And people, t- times people can trip up and go backwards, you know. It's just, I don't know, man. If you're operating off the wrong premises, then that's going to dictate how you... Everything else. I've seen you know. people uh, get seduced by their ego and then spiral down. They think they have the truth, but no. Because they get sunk by the propaganda. And they yeah. want to believe, I'm special. I discovered something special. And then they have an emotional attachment to it that prevents them from properly critiquing their own belief system. Uh-huh. Very few people can do that on a consistent basis. What they will do is blindly defend. Is this correct? Yeah. Uh-huh. Almost everyone falls into that. Um, what we should all be doing, whether we believe in God or not, is getting together at least on occasion and sharing, get all these ideas out on the table, okay? And allow yourself to learn from others instead, instead of promoting your channel and, you know, me versus you mentality. Everybody has me versus you programming. Everybody. They don't want to admit it. It's embedded. You can't prove that you don't have it anyway. You know what I mean? Um, and you can see this programming by the way people act out. You know, calling people flatheads, 
And then oh, I'm making know, fun yeah. of people who, yeah, that's not going to accomplish anything. It, 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 you know, globe charts. Yeah. And the, the agents will encourage this kind of <clears throat> absurdity. Now, scholar will never stoop to that level. I mean, uh, Drake is making some accommodations. I don't there, think it's all I, bad, though, because like I said, like Drake does it, but. Yeah, I was just going to say, he's the first scholar I've ever seen that even mentions YouTube. Like, he's writing the book. Things are changing now. See, YouTube is, and it's okay to, it's okay to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm saying, I've never heard, I would be hesitant to appeal to anything on YouTube, but if I did, it's just because this is the new reality that we live in. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm just saying I've never heard a scholar do it in a book. Have you? No, no. I'm not saying it's wrong. Okay. Uh-huh. Scholars don't do that kind of thing. Yeah. Where, uh-huh. where are these scholars? I'm talking about the real scholars. They don't really have a visible presence on YouTube. Look, at, I've done a search after search. I've tried to have a conversation with, with, a, with a theologian. I've never found any. No, I'm talking about where do theologians get together and, and converse? I've tried to discover what they do this. I've never found anything. And the reason is because the academic community, they don't engage the non-academic community. Yeah. I hate, you know, keep mentioning Michael Heiser. He's an exception. Mm-hmm. And he's to be applauded for that. Um, yeah. He has stooped, stooped down yeah. uh, uh-huh. to the level of the people. And, he, and he's a servant. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. We should all be appreciative of him. So, oh yeah. But see, we're not going to make progress by always just applauding everybody, like all his fans. They they don't they don't they don't critique him. So, you kind of look bad when you do. But this is what we have to do. It's not me versus you. He's a very likable uh. person, very well mannered. Everything. Mm-hmm. His mm-hmm. Char- character impeccable. Yeah. Okay? So you're going to uh. look bad criticizing him. Uh, unless you do it the right way. So anything I point out about him, it's going to be something, here you go, it's self-evident. People can see it, even if they like Michael Heiser. Oh, if you got a good point there, Dave. You know I mean? Yeah. Unless it's self-evident, I wouldn't want to criticize him at all. But that's what we need. We need to critique each other and move together as a community. Because we all got sighed up by all this propaganda. So all this me versus you competition and self-promotion, that's not going to get us there. Every, every minute that you spend promoting yourself beyond what you really need to do uh, is one less minute that you're thinking and critiquing your, actually yourself and your belief system, which is what I focus on. Did you, Dave, what are you producing? I don't produce nothing because God has not told me to do it yet. And when he does, it's going to be a lot different. Now, guess what? The Lord... <clears throat> Now, I, I plan on saying this on uh, Facebook. The Lord actually told me to start promoting my show on Facebook. That's why I, I changed my name. If you know me well, I've said this on this show, I, I do everything with careful you know, foresight and planning. Mm-hmm. And people get very frustrated with me because I don't do things spontaneous. Like Chuck. Chuck is the opposite of me. We've talked about this in the background. He's very spontaneous. You get yeah. impatient waiting for me. Dave, you made up your mind yet? Well, I'm still thinking about this. I thought about changing my name to Contrarious Live. Um, 
for over a year on Facebook. So that's what I did. That wasn't some kind of spontaneous thing. It had nothing to do with Linda whatsoever. She probably thinks it does or so. I don't know. But you would you understand why someone would think that. I mean, not really. I mean, <laughs> I can't get into her head in, on any subject. Well, the thing with Linda, she doesn't uh, respond. I don't think she's ever learned anything from me. There's no evidence uh, that she ever has. Uh, and um, she doesn't respond to overwhelming uh, evidence. Um, she's more of a feeler. Okay? Oh, I know. Uh, now, that's if I, obvious. We're having a little conversation on here, and I've thought about saying a lot of things, but um, <clears throat> I can appeal to logic, history, and scripture. Uh, actually, blow her right out of the water. Okay, and well, I. When I do that, all these women will be saying, you're not treating her right. They don't care about the information. You didn't treat her very nice. That's why I don't really have not done Facebook. But um, what we're getting now is that, that, Dave, it doesn't matter anymore. Just do what you got to do. I got to tone everything down for Facebook. They don't even know what a deep conspiracy is. I already had problems with these women before. Before, Connie used to tell They didn't like me. Had they ever listened to the show for one minute? No. And they never should have been in that big Facebook group. Connie let them in there, and I just approved it. She was in charge of all that, but she ended up letting too many people in there. And they turned against me in the background, gossiping. Oh, yeah. he's so cruel. He's mean. He's always angry. It, the main thing was, he's so negative. You see, this is the way they process. Their little minds, this is the way they process conspiratorial information. They look at it as one word, negative. And then if you talk a, a lot about these negative subjects, well, then you are a negative person. And they just go on from there. See, they got off on the, on the wrong, went in the wrong direction from the very beginning. And they're not even thinking. Now, remember <clears throat> that nowhere in Scripture, does it, 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 well, say in apostolic Scriptures, does it warn men about gossiping. And why do you think right. it does that? Right. And, and what does it say? Respect your husband, because women, yep. look at these women today, they have a problem respecting men, because all the propaganda, oh, you, every day, it's, it's, it's just a deluge of feminist propaganda all over the, uh, you know, the media, everywhere. You're supposed to claim that none of this is affecting you? And actually, the problem we have right here on Facebook, I'll sum it up in one word, feminism, which is one of the most ridiculous historical beliefs ever. And you can crush it very swiftly just by looking at the fruit of it. And, and don't just deny it all. I've already challenged feminists. Anybody, come after me. They're not listening. They're not hearing. You know. So, but well, I responded to Linda. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. I'm looking at it right now. Well, it's she literally refuted herself with her statement. She said, uh. No, I just believe that one is not superior over the other. Is that so hard to understand? Of course, there are still differences, but just being different doesn't make one superior. I responded, I said, if all differences are qualitatively equal, then they are by definition not differences. (laughs) You literally literally contradicted yourself. Uh, We did this podcast. uh, If all differences are exactly equal, then how can they be differences? That makes no sense. Uh, unfortunately for her, every 
sentence, these short little sentences, like four words, everyone is full of at least one obvious absurdity. <laughs> at least. And I, I want to say publicly for everyone to hear it, all right, including Sherry Shrine. Uh, when you get on Google and you search around for people exposing Sherry Shriner, you need to do a little thinking here. So I'm going to guide you, okay? What you need to look for is a valid, well, it doesn't have to be valid, any kind of Christian apologetics ministry that has lifted a finger to refute Sherry Shriner. Now, as far as I know, there is nobody. Now, stop right there and think. Why? I'm going to tell you why. Because when these apologetic ministries look at anything that she's done, you know what they think? They think she's a kook. And you know what I think? I agree. Period. And that will tell you what you need to know about Sherry Schreiner. Yeah. She's a kook. And uh, actually, you actually look bad even making the effort to get involved with all that because it actually drags you down. That's why I don't like her name being mentioned on my show repeatedly. And I've told people about this. It defiles the audio as far as I'm concerned. But I wanted to point that out. So that's what you need to know about Sherry Schreiner right there. She doesn't even qualify to be refuted. Yeah. And she uh-huh. she needs some... Um, she needs a mentor to deal with her mental problems. Mm-hmm. And don't even get me going on here. I mean, she's got so many unbelievably absurd beliefs about herself. She's completely delusional. Yeah. And every time she opens her mouth, all she does is dig a bigger hole for herself. And the hole is so deep now, it's, I don't think there's much hope unless God does something supernatural. So. <clears throat> I mean, people don't realize these grandiose beliefs that she has about herself. She believes she's the greatest woman on earth today. God's mouthpiece. And that, that's just for starters, okay? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's all I'm going to read out of this. Now I defiled your show. No, no, never. Just ki- I- I'm just kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> never, Dave, never. <laughs> Anything and everything. Huh? Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway, we, this last show that we did, which some people think is our best one ever, just because um, you don't find all that, uh, whatever all that was in one show like that. I mean, it starts off completely different than the way it ended up. And people can't even pull that off. I wasn't even trying. I was going to do a completely different show, Chris. People thought it was our best show. I think, it was, I, I think we had a good debate without getting hostile to each other. You don't really see that that often either. No, I always sigh off everybody with kindness. <laughs> so you never know whether Dave is being truly kind or sigh off in you. It's a psychological operation. I allow the other guy to get all flustered and emotionally and everything like that. Uh, there's been a few times where I've, uh, the temperature has risen at my end uh, because I was caught unawares. For instance, one time... Uh, I was supposed to talk to Emily for the first time, okay? And it was this big problem, and she was supposed to call me any minute and I talk to Emily for the first time. All of a sudden, Jobbering comes out of nowhere, and he has a Seventh-day Adventist uh, that wants to talk to me on the phone. He calls me up. 
Okay, well, I'm completely unprepared for this, especially emotionally. It's just a huge distraction. Uh, yeah. I, was in, I was impatient with this guy. Now, here's the reason why. <clears throat> I let him talk. He started babbling about all these Seventh-day Adventist beliefs. I took the podcast down, by the way. And uh, I think I did. I just remembered the other day I need to put that back up. Uh, there's this little low-level agent that emailed me. And he said, you weren't nice to that person. You know, like you were cruel or something. And I'm going, wow, that's, that's the way these people perceive that. Anyway, I let him talk and talk and talk. All he did was bury himself in a deeper hole. And then I yeah. came out and blew his doors off as swiftly as possible. Why? Because Emily's going to call me any minute. You see that? Yeah. Uh-huh. Dave, you didn't look very good in that situation. Well, you didn't know the background about that situation, yeah. did you? Yeah. He was being mean and impatient. <laughs> I don't like him. Yeah. <laughs> it hurts my feelings. Yeah. And you know he's proud and arrogant, too. <laughs> anyway, Chris, go ahead. <laughs> you know, sometimes I have negative emotions when you're speaking, too. I just never really want to admit it. <laughs> Make me feel that bad. Sometimes I feel inferior when I'm around you. <laughs> we can edit this out, hopefully. Anyway, go on. I started reading uh, this other book, too, by uh, David Polites on about Bigfoot. Oh. That's right. He put out some Bigfoot books, yeah. That's what he started off with. Yeah. Yeah, he's the 411 guy. And I don't think he's an agent, so. Oh, no, no, I don't either. But see the problem. See, people don't see the value of having a deep conspiratorial mindset. Or just what I say, being sufficiently conspiratorial. I've shown over and over the value of being sufficiently conspiratorial. conspiratorial. Um, He's run into some roadblocks um, because he's not... He needs to learn more about uh, organized Satanism and how they're all teched up. Yeah. Uh-huh. And like I said before... The thing is about his books is uh, you know, he operates from... He's a criminal investigator. You know, he operates from that. Yeah. So he doesn't really... He doesn't really like to draw conclusions. Or at least mm-hmm. if he does, he doesn't like to actually write them in the book. Unless yeah, they're, he's very, very cautious. Yeah, so, I mean, there actually are times where he, he, he basically implies that this has to be something sinister, diabolical, or but he do, he won't, you know, so who knows what he actually believes is going yeah. on. He doesn't, now, now he doesn't you can communicate get, it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying he's a scholar. I'm not referring to him as a scholar, but you can get very frustrated with scholars that are like politicians. Yeah, uh-huh. Um. They they have very guarded answers. They're trying to protect their reputation. Right. Now, the, uh-huh. the same thing happens when you have a radio show. Uh-huh. If, if you care about your reputation, uh, you tone things down. I've seen people do this. A lot of people don't even realize they're doing it. And I do the same thing. Mm-hmm. You know perfectly well, behind the scenes, it's, anything goes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. I've actually said it on my show, that this show is dumbed down. And, and people would think, they would probably, most people wouldn't believe that. But you know it's true. 
You know that because you dialogued in the background. Everything oh, yeah. is on a yeah. completely different level. Basically, in the background, what we talk about things that we can't talk about on the show. And then yeah. people have wondered, what are all these things that Dave can't talk about on the show? Well, actually, go listen to um, The Great Tribulation and specifically Luminology 401 and also um, The God Behind God. And that's the yeah. value of getting that information out there is that, oh, okay, I backed it up, didn't I? Yeah. That is, which I'm an esotericist, okay? And on Facebook, I'm actually going to get on there for the first time, and here's who I am. I haven't even used my real name on there yet. I got a whole list of things. One of them will be rantologist, social critic. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm a philosopher. I'm a theologian. Uh, somebody tell me that I'm not. All right. By the way, nobody's ever told me that, that I'm not. Nobody's ever said, Dave, you're not a theologian. Um, listen a little bit more. They just haven't even heard. You know what I, mean? I can talk just like a theologian. I can tone it all down. I can be conservative. If I wanted to, I could make a career about making money uh, and just focusing on one subject, uh, alternative health. I'm mm-hmm. an expert on alternative health. And that's what I'll put on Facebook. Uh, and maybe I'll put that at the end. Uh, alternative health expert. Mm-hmm. Expert. Am I an expert? Uh, come talk to Dave. All these uh, alternative health experts, when they come talk to Dave, they're hearing things that actually um, I haven't heard this before. I haven't even thought about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So, yes. Anyway. I'm yeah, a rantologist in the category of one. I created my own uh, job description, location. Uh, go try ranting on unusual, esoteric ideas and concepts for five hours. Is, are we supposed to believe that there's someone on this planet that can do this? I'm talking about it at a fast pace. No, there isn't. Okay. Anyway, uh, it looks pretty interesting though. It's uh, he focuses on California and uh, this one particular region where this uh, Indian reservation is called Hoopa. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's 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 also near where the Bluff Creek area was, where the Patterson Gimlin footage was shot. It's basically like it's in a area called it's known as like a Bigfoot Alley because it's just so concentrated, full of uh, sightings and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Very interesting, though. You said uh, of all the people he uh, uh, interviewed or all the witnesses, all the accounts he investigated, he never uh, heard a account of a violent Bigfoot encounter, which I find pretty interesting because there are actually accounts out there which I feel like are being suppressed of Bigfoots that attack and kill people. Mm-hmm. You see this a lot with Bigfoot uh, research. If you investigate it, it's kind of like they're promoting this kind of new age kind of view of Bigfoot. Like, oh, he's our he's our forest brother in the woods. You know, they're yeah. they're all so peaceful and serene, and you can just go out there and just, you know, I mean, <laughs> and I never bought that. It, it, it never. It's like it just doesn't even make sense at all. Like. <laughs> 
I have a, me, uh, to me, it's like a rejection of the Bible. To, I mean, the, the Bible teaches we live in a cruel, savage world. Like it's fallen, it's a sin. It's fallen to sin. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, all creatures have like a tribalist, have like a tribal mentality. You know, like if you infringe upon a, a Bigfoot's territory, and it, I mean, and it wants to harm you, it's gonna harm you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just like any other creature, you know. It's so. Do you think that there is uh, deliberate propaganda to disguise the nature of these uh, Bigfoots, Sasquatch, that they oh, yeah. kill yeah. people? Oh yeah. Uh huh. You always hear about the gentle giant that never harms anyone. Yeah, yeah. They're pushing this new age, you know, kumbaya view, which is not. I don't think it's there's there are a lot of accounts if you investigate but you got to investigate deeply you know under the surface and then you'll find uh there are accounts of Bigfoots attacking and killing people there's even accounts of uh in the Civil War era of like troops that were out in the woods you know they would actually come across these creatures and they got into like skirmishes with them and then they the Bigfoots would like charge through their ranks and like rip off their heads. There's actually a lot of accounts of uh, Bigfoot uh, getting into uh, physically attacking people, and that that's like their, their method of killing them is they rip off your head. They decapitate you. Did you ever talk to Eric about uh, Bigfoot? He's always was interested yeah. in that subject. Now, yeah, uh-huh. that, was, that was an example where I... Um, I'm a journalist, and when somebody focuses on a certain subject like that, I actually let them do it, and then I actually learn from them, interact with them. I acknowledge sure, yeah. that they know more. Uh, yeah. It's just because my interest level isn't high enough, but I just let him do that. Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, um, I, I made a mental note recently <clears throat> uh, to do a crypt cryptozoology show sometime. That whole show, we could do one with um, Jeff in Arkansas because um, he's always been interested in that subject. He, he's done public speaking and presentations, stuff like that. And yeah. uh, But you could talk about the dogmen. That's what I'd have you do because you, you can do – you're really good on that. Just I can tell just by what you texted me. Yeah, I was huh? not very familiar with that subject. I started looking into it. I was going, whoa, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the big Bigfoot and Dogman are out there, mm-hmm. and they well actually uh, apparently they compete with each other. Apparently, the Bigfoots are actually scared of uh, the Dogman too. They they generally retreat from the area if, if a Dogman's present. Mm-hmm. Based on their behavior, from what I've researched too, Bigfoot seem like opportunists, like uh, almost uh, like. Uh, Hunt, uh, gatherers, more like you know, they who tend to like pick berries and eat that kind of stuff before they uh, hunt something. But they do, they do hunt. You know, if they need, I think they eat raw raw meat and stuff like that. But anyway, the government they they cover up the existence of dogmen. Yeah, but the thing about the, what I'm saying is the main difference with dogmen is based on all accounts, he's a predator. You know, like totally. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, <laughs> and I think that's also why uh, there's there's not near as much. There's basically no video footage on YouTube of dogmen. 
because I think uh, if if a dogman if a dogman's like in your area, it's stalking you. Like you're not. It's. I think a lot of more people like they run across Bigfoot by accident. You know, they kind of stumble across one and they can catch it on video footage because Bigfoot's. It's not a predator. It's going to be hunting you. You know, it's just like a deer or something. It's just going to be wandering around. You know what I mean? Foraging. Mm-hmm. If a dog man's in your area, it's it's you're either not you're not gonna see it, and if if you do see it, it's probably not gonna end well. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're probably not gonna survive with video footage if you do end up seeing one because it's probably gonna attack you and kill you. <laughs> anyway, on this uh, show, I've I've been toning uh, things down, and uh, and and the reason I have is because I could have made comments about you know revelation that we've had stuff like that, but we we got. And I asked a question about uh, the dogman, just one simple thing. And he said, um, he said they're quite rare. There used to be uh, a lot more of them, but there's not many, not many, very many left, which is what you would expect. You know? I think they're uh, according to how they are. According to reports, their populations are uh, increasing now. Hmm. That and, and Bigfoot, and that and well, Bigfoot both, which is uh, I would why. I question that though. I would huh? question that. The reason is you don't have certainty about what are these creatures are manufactured. In other words, you've got natural dogmen and you've got these new dogmen that are emerging that are creating the lab and they start to spread. So you would never have a certainty about that. So. Sure, sure. Yeah. I could say, though, it could be possible, though, because I think a lot more people are, you know, moving out of rural moving out of rural areas and they're being concentrated into cities artificially. Don't you think that uh, Chupacabra is uh, uh, created in a lab? Possibly, but there's no way to know outside of Revelation. Well, you have to get a revel. You have to get a revelation on that. I, there's so many bizarre creatures that I think God created. Uh-huh. I mean, well, I think like, it runs the like Bigfoot and like Bigfoot and Dogman. <laughs> like I think I don't think I think God created those originally. You know, so. As far as these artificial beings, um, I think it runs the gamut. They've created every kind of freak and monster your mind can possibly conceive. Oh, yeah. I agree. Uh-huh. And they're typically in cages, uh, what I call subterranean. Subterranean is yeah, I, the... Uh, yeah, I think they have, like, zoos down there, probably, and... Yeah, all kinds of stuff. <laughs> subterranean is where they have the advanced... Uh, Civilization, it's 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 farther down. It's not right below the surface. That's yeah. Lower uh-huh. lower technology. The deeper you go, not not too deep. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you think that the Earth is hollow? Are you a hollow Earther? Well, no, because I don't believe the Earth is a sphere. Oh well, you get into this either or mentality. Uh, you know, whether uh, it's either hollow or not based on the sphere, but uh, I don't think it relates to the sphere. I, I, affirm a ca- I, I affirm a cavernous region within the Earth, yes. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just a problem with the word hollow. But Mark Sargent, yeah. um, he's an exception because he was a hollow earther a long time ago, and he still retains that in his belief system. I'm a hollow earther too. Um, it, it, people react to the word hollow, but actually that is the traditional cosmology. The traditional cosmology, you know, historically, is that um, this region is below your feet, you know, it's down, and it's, it's a material realm. It's a cavernous region, however you interpret that. So, I mean, Roman Catholicism uh, has never rejected that officially. 
So this is actually like the Christian view, century after century. And, uh, and they were all hollow earthers. Once you make the cavernous region large enough, then you're a hollow earther by default. And you may not, I don't like that terminology. Well, I'm sorry. You hold it to a traditional cosmology. So if you don't want to call yourself a hollow earther, that's fine. But you believe in a yeah, large just, just, hollow region. <laughs> you know the, term ho- the term hollow is kind of misleading. You know, yeah, you well, don't. you know something? You better believe yeah. they created that term, too, just like flat. Sure. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Yeah. That's how they I, was say, I think that uh, Bigfoot and Dogmen are um, part of the beasts of the field that God created, which included a lot quick, of... Huh? Just real quick, Chris. The reason that they create those two terms or, or use them hollow and flat is to increase, uh, make it more difficult to believe in it. Yeah. Uh-huh. To decrease believability. It, it, you, they're making it hard for you to believe these things. The Earth yeah. is flat. What? The Earth, you believe the Earth is hollow? Are you crazy? They never, yep. You know, mm-hmm. they, they want an emotional reaction. That's what you're going to get with those words. So, yep. you know, can you guys please, if you, if you hear this audio and you, there's a lot of flat earthers, start talking to other people. You don't have to say Dave Eager. I, I don't associate with these people because we talk about revelation. We didn't used to do that. But I, I have to um, separate myself from these people because they're either going to think I'm an agent or I'm uh, a kooky, like Sherry Schreiner. They're going to think I'm a kook. Mm-hmm. They don't believe in it. So where's the information coming from? A lot of the conspiracy guys, um, especially if they're not a Christian, they would readily assume that I'm an agent. Yeah. Uh, what, what else would you conclude? You know, just like I said before, if you if you got people that show up and they're transformed, or even if they're resurrected, okay, forget about transformation. Uh, somebody gets resurrected, one person, he walks around, atheist doesn't believe in God, what's going to be his conclusion? See, your conclusions are always based on your worldview. Yep. Well, he doesn't believe in God, he doesn't believe in the supernatural. He's going to conclude that this person is either an agent, excuse me, uh, <laughs> this person is... Um, <clears throat> Alien. An, alien, an alien, or they were manufactured in a lab. There you go. I've never mentioned that one. But see, the reason I had to say that is because there's a lot of atheists out there, most of them, they don't believe in aliens. A lot of them are very conservative in their thinking. They have an institutionalized mind. You know, if, you, if they don't talk about it in, when you get your quote-unquote education, which is indoctrination, um, they're too feeble-willed to assert anything that's that far out of the norm. Their fundamental desire is to be normal and fit in. That's what sinks you. They're not able to be a conspiracy theorist. They want to be normal. That's the fundamental drive. So they can succeed. Now, do you see the problems of trying to, quote-unquote, succeed, however you define that, say on a material level or a career, with being a public conspiracy theorist? It holds you back. Yeah, uh-huh. You're working against the grain. Now, these people intuitively know that, and so they just try to be normal as much as possible. Meanwhile, always assuming that their views are correct. You know, my worldview is correct. How many people out there walk around and go, I have the incorrect worldview? My, my worldview is wrong. Everybody believes that their worldview is correct. This is the delusionality 
mankind. Uh, we haven't used that word in a while. Johnny's actually got T-shirts that says, delusionality is a real word. And I'm going to put a picture up on Facebook in a T-shirt. I almost put it up last night. But I said, uh. What are you talking about? Uh, he, he went out and created some T-shirts. You can actually see them online. Uh-oh. You can buy them. And it's got a picture of the podcast. I don't think that's a good image to put on a T-shirt, but that's what he wanted to do. And um, and it says delusionality is a real word. I, I did three different shows with Java Ring, one, two, and three. Yeah, delusionality is a real word. Yeah. Uh-huh. And basically I said that uh, all mankind is delusional. Mm-hmm. Or at least was at some point in your life. Maybe you recovered from that. You have to deprogram yourself. Never... You're born into this world in a sea of propaganda. You're totally reliant on whether or not your parents have been deprogrammed. And if they have, don't assume that they're going to teach their child. That's an assumption. So it's got to be significant deprogramming. That's going to take years. Everybody has to deprogram themselves. Now, you can't get a late start, Okay. Most most people haven't even started, but once you start, you're talking about a lengthy period. And all these foolish people on Facebook who discovered a few things and pat themselves on the back, now they want to go out and teach everybody. And they fight back and forth. It's absolutely disgusting to me. You notice that I don't get involved with that. Yeah. Uh, These people don't interact with me because they don't have enough courage to do that in in a public format. They're not certain about how it's going to go. Because everyone's looking, watching. Facebook has to do with the ego. That's why they fight back and forth. I'm right. You're wrong. You're a flathead. You're a globe guy. That's the level of Facebook. Okay? So, I just ignore these people. I can ignore these other people that can't process me. They cannot. YouTube cannot process me. So, I'm going to suffer uh, at my end trying to interact with them. Now, I'm, I'm basing this on uh, observance from the past. Um, what I do is focus on relationships. Uh, I try to be really nice with people and uh, treat them civilly. And then, uh, after relationships form, then they trust me to some degree, and then we can begin to communicate. So that's what I do. I focus on relationships instead of argumentation and debate because I believe the Western mind is so programmed, um, is so egocentric, narcissistic, that um, they, ha- they, they have to be right. And if you prove them wrong, uh, they, they will dislike you for the rest of their life. Because they're children. That's what a child does. Emotional response. They don't understand that um, in the Bible, for instance, arguing is in positive context. We just talked about this. Was it on this show? Yeah. It talks about Paul arguing. Yeah. Uh And obviously that is a positive context. But in the Western world, we're all programmed to believe that the word argue is always a negative thing. Isn't this true? Yep. Because they don't, the Illuminati doesn't like argumentation because it 
God has designed everything, that all things being perfectly equal, equal, which they never are, the truth will rise to the surface. This explains why, like I said before, uh, there used to be all these public debates in the 1920s with, uh, uh, with Jehovah's Witnesses. Hold on, I think that's proof uh, that he, um, that the laws of logic come from him. Yeah, okay. That would have to be Are the they, case, right? I mean, if, if, yeah. if truth rises to the top in argumentation, well, argumentation operates off the laws of logic, so mm-hmm. I think that's like the law of non-contradiction, you know? Like a proposition can't be both true and not true at the same time, so, you know, contradiction forces the truth to come to the top a lot of times, you know, mm-hmm. if there's a contradiction between arguments, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That forces so, the truth. Yeah. Jehovah's Witnesses used to call themselves Bible students, okay? And they used to get uh, just absolutely hammered in these public debates because there's there's just too many glaring holes in their... They don't even have a theology, by the way. They have no systematic theology. There's holes all over the place. So they shut it all down. They've never done it since. And the Illuminati learned something. And now they don't like debating. It kind of debate you see on television... It's all artificially structured. Both guys are on a payroll. They're arguing back and forth. They're just a bunch of actors. That's, that's all you ever get on television unless they bring somebody else in there. Like they could bring a legitimate flat earther someday, but it's going to be set up to make him look bad. And he's not on a payroll. It doesn't matter. He's a scapegoat. Sure. There's also obvious scenarios, too. That's all you're ever going to get unless it's a subject they simply don't care about. Yeah. You want to have a debate about, you know, housekeeping or something like that? Best way to run your kitchen. Okay, I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. I'm talking about something that's philosophically important. So anyway, the term Bible students is the opposite of the term flat and hollow. There, they're psyoping you and trying to tell, oh, this is a positive thing. Bible students, doesn't that sound good? Yeah. (laughs) Ultra positive. That was a psyop. That's how they get you. These words are weapons, man. They really are. Channing is good at wordsmithing. He keeps showing all this stuff at me. I'm going, I never heard of this before. It's good, you know. I don't recall it very well, though. I can't remember any of the stuff he's thrown at me. I'm usually like shopping or doing something, multitasking. Uh, Sometimes I'll just lay there, and he will do all the talking. I'll lay there at bed at night. Talk, 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 talk. I'm just listening to him. Oh. Pretty much most of what he's saying, I've not, I have not heard this, you know. And he's actually quite entertaining, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. He's very humble. That's what I like about him. Mm-hmm. He can be irritating. He just well, he's all of that. Well, I, he's almost humble to a fault, cause it, <laughs> if, I, if I could say that, but... He just called me, and uh, I may actually walk to the store tonight. I was going to walk to the store, but I decided to sit here because all oh, this stuff is a little too heavy. i got to pay attention. But uh, uh, And also, I, I, it, it proves the, the, you know, the quality of the audio. You're going to have background noise even if I meet, my, meet myself. So, But I might uh, go walk to the store. That's, what, that's when I talk to him on the phone when I'm multitasking. Yeah. And he just kind of keeps me amused in the background. I'm shopping. <laughs> Huh. In fact, um, last time I went to the store, uh, I was going, should I go to the store? Because I have to walk quite, quite a ways. And, uh, and he called me up, and I was going, great. Now I can get motivated to go to the store. Because um, 
I don't enjoy listening to podcasts as much as I used to because there's just too much repetition. Yeah. So I, yeah. I find myself actually wanting to talk to a live person more and more, and, and that's one of the reasons why I don't keep up with all the podcasts like I used to. Yeah. And that started back uh, around March to 2015. God started sending me all these new people to talk to, and I would rather talk to Chuck on the phone than listen to a podcast. I learned more. Oh, yeah. Actually. Yeah. Uh, Chuck is a brilliant man. He's going to get credit for this. But he is becoming rapidly intelligent. And you can't tell yet on the show necessarily, um, behind the scenes. He, he's talking to people. I'm not there. And people are starting to realize how incredibly talented he is. So <clears throat> That's why you got people. In fact, tonight, we're going to find out here. I think uh, Cade, who used to be uh, maybe the best friend of Jabbering, uh, he's gonna he's gonna link up with uh, Chuck. They might be sitting uh, there t- together tonight. In fact, I think they are. Uh-huh. But if not, probably tomorrow. I mean, Emily and Johnny just went over to meet Chuck, and now Kate is there. This is not like normal though, because it never happened before. You know. But he's making a name for himself. People are starting to stand up, pay attention. Incredibly gifted man. We uh, we're probably going to talk about some things. Uh, we may actually do a whole show on, I'm going to call it spirit travel. Because I think the Christians have been psyoped into believing that this is dangerous. And basically everybody has been. So right now you're disagreeing with me or you're going, what is spirit travel? I don't even want to talk about it. We'll talk about it later. So it's in the Bible. And yeah. all that um, negative mindset that you have it's going to go right down the tubes when I get the scriptures out. These major prophets, like Ezekiel, he's traveling in the spirit. Well, that's yep. travel, Dave. That's the occult. Please understand one thing. I know you haven't seen this before, but you can take any significant occult ability, and you will find it's duplicate in the Bible. It's all perversion of, what, of God's gifts. Every single one of them. I've seen a category of this. There's no significant exception, but they're not thinking along those lines. See how quickly you can prove things? Now, I actually haven't gotten out the little, you know, list, you know, left column, right column. One, two, three, four, right down the line. See, we're proving something here. But you haven't seen that list, so you can be skeptical. But all you've ever been told is the evils of astral travel. Okay? You never heard anything positive. But you weren't thinking because you didn't realize it's Right there in the Bible. I don't believe in soul travel. The soul doesn't leave the body. If it does, the body dies. Yeah. But I believe this This is totally... They don't want you to know that your spirit is traveling every single night when you go to sleep. And who's the authority that's going to stand up and prove that wrong? You can't do that. See how they always have this... I call it false certainty. They're so certain. What, what are you certain about? You're certain about things that you've heard over and over again. So, see, that's the established norm. These mental midgets, they can't move away from that. And probably some of it has to do with the, they want desire to be normal, which has to do with the desire to be loved and accepted. Look at, look at, what's, look at what happened with Rob Skiba and his family. That's his personal business. I'm not going to go into too much. But, I mean, the things that he made public, 
Yeah, I know. And I haven't told my story, but you know, people assume that I'm never going to do it. Oh, yes, I am. I'm just patient. Now, there was a reason why I got evicted from my house. That house was supposed to go to me. What happened along the way? Behind my back when I didn't, I didn't know anything. That's why I got evicted. That house was supposed to, that was my house. I mean, we actually had, I mean, my mom there and uh, a bunch of people, and we had, you know, the social, uh, the government agent, and the heads turned towards me, and he said, this is going to be your house. Okay? Mm-hmm. I just assumed somebody stole my house away from me. That's why I got evicted. There you go. And we'll talk about how that happened and who actually was involved. They think, you probably don't want to do that with somebody that has a radio show. It comes down to one thing, lack of respect. Absolutely no respect whatsoever. Don't do that for someone who's a public figure. Hey, did you just call yourself a public figure? Can you go measure the downloads that I have on iTunes? Or how many downloads do you have to do to become a public figure? If you have uh, websites and the podcasts like you're dis- discussing my belief system, that's how you become a public figure, okay? It's absurd to say that you, you have all these people discussing Dave's unique belief system. Oh, but he, he's not a public figure. Well, I'm talking about not doing it you know, in enclosed homes. They're doing it out on the Internet. Yes, public figure. But there's people out there who refuse to acknowledge this. And that's why they did this, these stupid things in the first place. And they assumed that nothing was ever going to be made public. Well, that's a pretty big assumption. I'm protecting people. I'm not going to protect them forever, okay? There's going to be consequences for what you did, even if it's just massive embarrassment. Don't mm-hmm. do those things to a public figure. Mm-hmm. Just don't do it, okay? And I've been mm-hmm. overly kind every step along the way, and I'm protecting people. And I actually love these people, okay? But they did something very foolish and hurtful. So, anyway. So that's right, why I got well. evicted. And that's why I ended up here with no money, no nothing. I didn't even, I wasn't even try, trying to make money off this podcast. I didn't think I could. I had uh, two people helping me, paying the rent for three months, two friends of mine. After that, I was on my own. And I was desperately trying to find a job until God showed me nothing's changed. Still the same old thing. You're not supposed to have, you know, that kind of job. Like, you know, payroll, you check in, you got a boss, all, you know. But yeah, I've explained before, this, this is a job, and we have a completely wrong conception of the word work. Because we're ignorant of the biblical model of the scribe, the role of the scribe. We don't have scribes. The reason we don't have them is because um, <clears throat> Christianity never produced any. Um, after the apostolic era, you had the monastic, uh, I guess you call it a movement. It started with the desert fathers out in the caves. By the way, you know why those desert fathers are out in the cave? Out in the caves? That had to do with the cataclysm. You see that? And they covered it all up. Yeah, that's why they were out living in the caves. They, they were the survivors, man. So, uh, a scribe is somebody, it's very important in the Bible. 
You can't use the Bible to prove it's negative like the Pharisees. People don't even talk about scribes. They just ignore the word. Remember that um, <clears throat> Jeremiah had a scribe, Baruch. Are you going to say that's something negative? They even have a book named after him. You know, a non-canonical work, right? I'm not saying it's valid or anything. But um, all we had was monks, and they didn't function like the ancient scribes. They were primarily copyists. And, that, and most people today, when they hear the word scribe, they're going to think of that, a copyist. They, but they were primarily teachers, and some of them didn't have anything to do with the copying. Anything. Just called a scribe. That's what you call them. And, uh, but with the, with the monks, that's pretty much all they do. See, the teaching in the monastic community is, is all inward. They don't teach the public, right? Well, that's some kind of strange concept of a teacher to me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a public teacher. So now we can see that the biblical vocation of a, of a, of a, uh, <clears throat> a scribe, it vanished. Now, it disappeared uh, fully and finally when the printing press came along. Then there was no need to do uh, all this copying right, by hand. And then, then you have nothing. So that's what we have today is nothing and all these ignorant people. Uh, get your Bible out or use your reason and logic to prove that I am not a scribe. You all have fun with that, okay? Because if I am, that's a legitimate vocation. And guess what? Are we going to make the absurd conclusion that none of these scribes were working? Well, guess what? That's, that's what they did. See, they go, you're not working. Well, that's because you have a modernist concept of what work is. Right? You know, if you just, if most of it's mental work, in this culture, which is it's an idiocracy, right? We don't value yeah. intellectuals. In this idiocracy, calling them out, Society of idiots, okay? Uh, to these idiots, and they'd never even thought about this before, uh, that, that's not work. Sitting around and I've actually said, Dave, what do you do all day? I said, sit around and think. As far as I know, I'm the only person that does this. And, uh, and I write all day long. I probably write more than anybody. Because authors, they take breaks. I don't take breaks. You see, because here's why I don't take a break. Every single significant, I'm the one that determines the word significant, um, a theory, assertion, a lot of them are questions. Every single thing gets written down. I'm very meticulous about this. I go, because I'll, I'll ask Chuck about, now, what was that thing we were told the other day? Or Because I'm trying to record it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, I, I almost like obsessive. In that, and nobody ever sees this information. But people just think I sit around and twiddle my thumbs. You know, I'm working all day long, and I never are off the clock because even if I watch a movie or something like that, it's all, ideas are always coming. And I'm right now. It never. My brain never shuts down. So it, my mind is probably overly active. But there really isn't anything I can do where this doesn't happen. Because if I go hiking. I get some of my best stuff when I'm not looking at when I'm away from a computer screen. And I get out like yeah. on a bicycle or something like that. I've got all yeah. these ideas, and I'm like, and, and, and guess what? I would actually take a notebook out to write them down, but now I I do it on my phone. There you go. And my mind never shuts down. I would drive a woman crazy. You know, wife. 
I would have to you can, think. You can out, you can out talk her or what? Well, uh, women say that they like uh, men that are uh, got good conversationalists, and uh, actually, if you a true intellectual, they wouldn't they wouldn't like that. Because uh, what did I say before? Yeah, I was gonna say that's generally not true in today's society. They they act like that, but they don't actually like that. Well, women will say that they want this and that, but they don't really uh, they don't really they don't know themselves. You can see by their behavior, their actions, and the witnesses against them. You say you want these things, but then you know being truthful with yourself because you don't really understand yourself because you're not examining yourself. See, the vast majority of people in modern society, they simply don't examine themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's the great you know, philosophical axiom? Know thyself. Here's the question. Do they? No. And that's the programming. You're not supposed to know yourself. You're supposed to... Uh, admire yourself, promote yourself, compete with others. You're the very best. <clears throat> You're the greatest of all. And that's a big side up to feed the ego. Uh, these people are becoming more and more childlike, and the ego is completely out of control. This is entirely narcissistic, the most narcissistic society in the history of the world. America the Great. Okay? It's completely laughable. Anyway, Chris, you want to wrap it up? Yeah, I'm drifting off. <laughs> you go to bed early. I'm a night person. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Well, you have a job that you have to go to. So it's best yeah. to keep that pattern. It's really good for your health. Yeah, yeah. To go to bed around the same time. Uh, I don't do that because I'm electrosensitive. And uh, I, I typically, a lot of times I sleep twice a day, although actually I have not been doing that lately. So I, I go through periods where I do yeah. that. And that's why it's hard to, I typically f- turn my phone off. So that's why when you call me sometimes, I'm not necessarily ignoring you. Yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. yeah. I fasted today, so I have more energy, but... I'm an intermittent uh, faster, and I... Me too. If you're, if you're a true intellectual, me too. You will actually forget about food. Literally I'm an intermittent. I'm an intermittent faster too. I never eat more than two I go meals. To bed I never. I never eat more than two meals a day if I do eat at all. I typically only eat one. Um, yeah. They have a term for that. I don't remember what that term is called. Well, it's, supposedly, it's, inter- supposedly, well, it's inter- intermittent fasting. Definitely. Oh, it's the warrior diet. The warrior diet. Supposedly, the Roman legions they uh, they wouldn't eat until at night, and then they would feast. But I, I'm not on the warrior diet because I don't feast. I don't like cooking, right? And I don't like preparing food. I even when I you know I'll, I'll eat soup out of a can cold. How many people would do that? <laughs> they don't even want to heat it up. I actually like to, I like to cook. I think it's therapeutic. I actually like it. I enjoy it. I used to a long time ago when I used to smoke a lot of pot. I I'd, uh, had these big speakers, big speakers in each room, just wall to wall sound everywhere I go, and I'd get really loaded and 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 enjoy like you know vacuuming or cleaning the kitchen or preparing food, and then I became a Christian. And guess what happened when I became a Christian? I started. Uh, I can see myself in you a lot. I was absolutely obsessed with learning. Uh, probably too much. Yeah, yeah, I definitely was because um, 
I had to leave that house, which I was in for about 10 years, because I had a landscaping job, and I studied so much this one winter, my boss didn't get me any work, and I just, I didn't really focus on it, and uh, I went down to, it got so bad that I actually got the electricity turned off, and then I ran the food in the house, and I took everything I had and, and made it in this one big pot, and then ate that for three, four, five days, and then I ran out of that, and guess what? Writing on the wall. My cousin comes. He lives next door to me. He came over one time to look at the meter because there's no lights on in the house. He's going, what's up with this guy? So I saw him. <laughs> uh-oh, he, uh-oh, he knows. It's the end of the rope. So this is yeah. the reason. This is the reason why I moved in with my parents. Now, you don't hear much about my dad, right? Mm-hmm. Now, <laughs> there's an incredible amount of evidence that, that verifies that this lifestyle that I have is totally from God. I'm going to give you evidence right now. My father lived in that house. That's his house, his big house. He had a big red barn. It's out in the country, just around the edge of the country. He had lived in that house since about 1962, all right? And um, this is a funny story. I had uh, had several cats, and my dad says, uh, no cats. He knew perfectly well. My dad was an alcoholic, okay? My mother was a practicing Christian, okay? And my dad would go to church with her every Sunday. Mm-hmm. He was very proud of it. He, liked, he would go to church because he liked to show off his family, and I know that for a fact. He's very proud of his family. And, um, it ain't a bad thing, totally. Well, my brothers and sisters were all attractive people, and I even had... Uh, People in the family, females, tell me they thought I was better looking than both my brothers. I, I'm, I was the older one, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you sure about that? <laughs> you know what I mean? To each his own, you know? But anyway, here's the proof, unless you want to believe in your coincidence theory. Mm-hmm. I had to hide my cats in the, um, uh, how long am I going to be able to pull this off? In the attic of the garage. Obviously, he's going to discover the cats, okay? So their days are very limited. Um, my father did something incredibly crazy. I don't know if I want to talk about it. And my mom got a restraining order on him. One week later, I'll tell you what he did. He attacked my brother's best friend's car with a weed eater with a metal blade on it and slashed his tires. Mm-hmm. And, he go, and you're going, your dad's crazy. Yeah. When he's drinking. You know what I mean? He drank mm-hmm. cheap vodka. He mm-hmm. killed himself. He died on the floor. They found him. Uh, he was all alone at the end. He rejected his entire family. The most important thing was a bottle of booze. Okay. Uh, so anyway, here's the thing. There's no way that he and I could live for any extended period of time in the same environment. And by the way, as a young Christian, uh, when my father was spiraling down, I took him into my house. I was renting the house. And my aunt was the landlady, my aunt and uncle, and uh, and cared for him. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. And, and did what I could as a Christian to try to help him. And no thanks yeah. whatsoever. I remember one day, he looked at me. We're not even talking. Totally out of the blue, he says, you're a liar. 
It's like that. I'll never forget that. You're a liar. You know what that was? It's a demon speaking right sure. to him. And after he died, yeah. I think it was after that, my mother talked to me. You know, she's a conservative Christian, and she said, you know, he had demons. And she actually said that when he came in the room, you could feel the demonic presence. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, so anyway, he's the owner of the house. And things are not going to go well because we did not get along. And, and the problem was at his end, okay? Right. And uh, guess what happened? And God kicked him out of his own house. He's done permanently. He never got back in there. Now, you're supposed to assume that God didn't do that. You're going to hold the acquaintance theory. I said he lived in that house since 1962. I was there for one week, and he's out. God wanted me there. And that is the reason why God didn't help me in the other house. He was using these, these circumstances. But God didn't tell me to move. Okay? Usually, it's clear to me what I'm supposed to do. Uh, he'll make it clear. In that case, um, he just took away all my resources, but he wanted me to, to live with my mother. And so I lived with her, with my two brothers who were going to um, uh, actually Pacific Lutheran University. Uh, it's a little college town, you can basically call it that. It's a big school. <clears throat> and um, I have a lot of connections with that school. My mother worked there. I had a female friend uh, that worked there, uh, actually with my mother. And uh, I had two brothers and a sister that graduated from there. Okay. And um, anyway, yeah, that was God. And uh, so I lived there with a year and a half with them. And then uh, I didn't know what I was going to do. My mother said, I got to move out of here. I got to get a smaller house. It's, house is too big because she's getting older, you know. Mm-hmm. And she was going, you know, um, you're going to have to find, you know, something. I mean, she had no intention of helping me whatsoever. I, and I didn't expect it. Uh, uh, but God, we, we got a, a Christian. We didn't try to do this. But we got a Christian um, real estate agent. And she started all obsessing with me. That wanted to hear, you know, my beliefs and stuff like that. She actually came over one time. Uh, to learn from me, like a Bible study. And she, I knew she had demons. She, she had written two books, by the way. This lady is a major player. And one wrote, uh, book she wrote about this, the, all these experiences she had with this false prophet. She threw all this money at him. She never gave me a penny, by the way. Uh, she threw thousands and thousands of dollars at this guy and eventually concluded he was a false prophet and wrote a book about it, okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, she sits down on the couch right in front of me and promptly falls asleep as soon as I open the Bible. And when I used to talk about the, the Davidic prince, when I first got the revelation about 1991, and I started talking about it with people that were close to me, and when I would mention him, oh, uh, people would start falling asleep. Not, not, not literally snoring, but their head would literally go up and down my best friend, my mother, and I would point this out. I go, you're, you're reacting to this. Can't you tell? And I said, this is the evidence that this is real. And yes, yeah. when you start talking about the Vedic prince around demonic people, watch out. It, it can be very amusing. And that was one of the things where I learned that, um, I hate to say this, but almost all Christians are suffering from some kind of oppression. 
If they haven't done something to get rid of that, now this should not be normal, but I, we've been told it has to do with the diaspora. Okay, sure. and I remember I said all Christians are under a curse. You can use the Bible, and we're still under Genesis 3.15 curse. But um, um, the reason I say that, Chuck and I were just talking about this last night, because I, I don't have any evidence that Chuck has a demon, and people have claimed that I don't. But everyone else, um, see, we do exorcisms in the, in the background, and everybody that I've ever been around is suffering from some kind of demonic oppression. I'm talking about when they actually have demons, and they need an exorcism. Uh, it, this, is, this shouldn't be this way. I don't think it was this way before. You don't realize what has happened to God's people. Um, you have people that are suffering every day, but they don't, they don't acknowledge their suffering. They just accept it because I guess it's so widespread. But we're all suffering. They don't know that they're slaves. If they just knew that one fact, then they would know they're suffering, but they don't know that they're slaves. So that would be a, a good way to realize, wow, I'm really suffering here. I mean, this is... People think that they have this wonderful life, like on Facebook. Well, okay, but you're a slave. We're not going to talk about that, right? No. So anyway. All right, Chris, enough personal details. Uh, Some people probably com- appreci- appreciated all that. You like the personal details everyone saw. Oh, I liked it, but I'm mm-hmm. starting to... I'm drifting off, so... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Oh, I liked it, though. All right, uh-huh. well, thanks for uh, coming on. Yeah, take care now. Yep, you too. All right, bye. Bye. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.